One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Why is it, right, that they call the club Stade Toulousian, but the stadium is Stade de Toulouse? Um, Have we ever got an answer to that? I think it's one of rugby and life, indeed, great mysteries. It is the most Toulousian stadium. It is, it is, but why isn't it Stade Toulousian? Why is the team Stade Toulousian, but the stadium is not that? Because the team is called... Well, the team is called Stadium of Toulouse, officially. That is the name of the team. That's the official name of a team, because they are named after the stadium they're playing. You know, Stade Rochelle is La Rochelle. There's so many, Stade Francais, most famously. You know, there's loads of them. It's a bloody common thing in France, and it's one of those difficulties when you're trying to look up a French team. Section Palois. Exactly. You have to know two names for every team. Stade Every single one. It's a nightmare. And, like, this week, for various things in the Uruguay video... I was having to look up like third division teams to see, you know, find some old players and so on. Mm. And it's an absolute nightmare because you've got to know three names for all of them. You've got to know the like initials. You've got to know the name of the team. And then you've also got to work out whatever they're colloquially known as. Have you got a favorite third division French team? I mean, Dax at the minute. Yeah. That's who we've been looking at. Isn't yeah. It? The Felipe Bacchese's Dax. Yeah. Oh man. The squad Dax have got at the minute. Please run me through it. So, Felipe Bocchesi at 10. He's yes. a standout, right? Yes. One of a handful of internationals they've got, which is mad. That's the Uruguay the number 10 for, like, the best part of 10 years for anybody. Who, yeah, absolute unknown. hero. Coming up on his third World Cup now. Yeah, and massive rugby nerd yes, as well. Yes, by all accounts. He's he's very much kind of like a, a Uruguayan in the mould of a, a Stephen Myler or... Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. New Zealand produces so many of that fly-off. Who is just kind Oteri of like, Black. Yes. No, actually, I don't know. Oteri Black's got a bit too much pace to be him. You think? Yeah. You know, like, Stephen Donald became that guy. That's true. He's probably the biggest name version of yeah. it. Yeah. Either um, way. Jimmy Gopuff is that guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That kind of like really boring fly off who kicks his goals. Yeah. He's excellent, but he's very unflashy about it. Sure. Kind of middle management sure. 10. Yeah. Who else is at Dax then? Get uh, room for the names. Lasha Lomidze. Oh, yes. George he's still going. He's still yeah. going. Yeah. I assume he's fat and playing second row now. Oh, I mean, he's listed as a number eight, but, wow. you know. Speaking of fat and second rows, you remember Senio Tolafea? Samoa Lock? No. Talea Foa. Talea Foa. I don't We're remember We're going to Foa. Played for Samoa in the last World Cup. Oh, what? And then dropped off the face of the earth. Player who played from the last... Then again, the scores in the last World Cup was kind of shit. Yeah, he was Australian in the 20s, went to the World Cup. Right. Uh, fell off the face of the earth, basically. Okay. Peter Stemmett. Peter Stemmett? Who is a, tell you what, right? South African prop with a hell of a journeyman rating. Okay. Hit me. Starts his career at Western Province, right? Spends four years at the Western Province. Then somehow doesn't play professional rugby for two years. Okay. (laughs) Comes back, re-signs with the Golden Lions in 2011. Okay. Okay. Plays with the Golden Lions for a bit. Heads the free set Cheaters. 
Mm-hmm. Mid-season, moves to Western Province again. Right. Back to the Eastern Province Kings, plays for them in the oh, Pro 12. The Eastern Province Kings, yep. wow. Goes on to play for them in the Pro 12, as it was at the time. Pro 14, Pro 14, whatever it was yeah. at the time. Nobody knows how many people are in that league. Goes to the Pumas. Okay. Goes back to the Lions. And then he signs for, most excitingly, the Southwestern District Eagles. That's not... Is that a rugby team or that, is that a pop group? <laughs> uh, they are a second division Curry Cup team. Oh, okay. So plays 11 games for them. Yeah. Then gets back in with the Kings. Gets back to the big time to play in the Pro 12. Once yes. more, baby. At which point... How did he find himself in Federal 1? Well, he then goes, okay, okay, okay. I think I need to branch out a bit. I think I need to test myself. Learn some new skills. I think I need to head to Timosaurus Saracens. Oh, hello. He then spends a few years at Timosaurus Saracens before going, you know, I've got too many eyeballs left playing in Romania. <laughs> what I need to do is just hop over the border and head to France. So he then heads straight to Dax. Okay, okay. The Pro Day Dirt and Federal 1 are notoriously the leagues where just everything that happens in there is illegal. Yes. Um, one day I would love to just like actually properly cover that. Should we edit the list one day? We'll just do a full yeah, we'll do all of the Pro de Deux or Federal One season. Federal one, 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 yeah, we'll do a full Federal It'll Federal very much be the same as 1987. Yes. Cup. We'll get sick of it at the end. At first it's like, oh, here's a good novelty. Seven people have bit each other in this first five minutes. <laughs> the referees are actually watching the game yeah. in 87. That's true. That's true. Well, um, I feel for referees in France because... To be a really, really good ref, you probably will have had to like referee in those leagues for a little bit. Yeah, and it's just impossible yeah. to to do well in those leagues because there's no TMOs. Everybody's fat and disgusting and biting each other all the times and ripping each other's ears off. And just genuinely, there's nobody I feel more sorry for in rugby than referees in those it's leagues. Like visiting Doncaster. <laughs> um, Apologies to the people of Doncaster. They also have in their squad a prop called Thomas Dufour, who when you click yeah. on the Wikipedia page, right, it takes you to the page of a French Olympic curler. I really, really I hope, hope it's, it's the same, same one. Guy. I hope it's the same guy. However, he is not relevant to the game we are covering today, <laughs> but we are instead looking <laughs> at one of the- anything we've discussed. Look, here's the thing about Thomas Dufour, right? He won bloody Olympic medals, right? He's got an Olympic bronze and silver medal. Yeah. Okay. Which is not... No, he hasn't. He's got junior Olympic medals. <laughs> which Look, is more close. than we have. It's close. It's close. He did all right for himself. Yeah, well done to Tom. And therefore, that is one of the great French sporting achievements that will not be talked about in history. That's true. So we're giving him a platform. And I think we're going to talk about another today. Yes. As we are here to discuss France's biggest ever win in Rugby Union. Really? Ever? Yep. Biggest ever so the thing is, because I thought you were doing that bit that we do on every episode where you go, this is a really historic occasion. But in a sense, in a, it in is. a sense it is. It is, it is the biggest points margin France have ever won by and their biggest ever scoreline, the most oh, points they've ever scored in the game. Their 87-10 win over Namibia. You really wonder how they scored that many points because, boy, Namibia were incredible in this game. <laughs> it was uh, quite an effort <laughs> by <laughs> the boys from the Namib. Uh, yes, yes, Nami B. Um, f- for context of this, so these two teams come from extremely different places, I think it's safe yes. to say. One comes from France, the other comes from Namibia. <laughs> no. No, um, uh, not to go on Murray Mexted on you there, but 
We covered Namibia previously as mm. they played against Ireland and they put up a fight against them. Hell of a fight. Like, yeah, and it was fantastic. They left Ireland floundering. They were a lot of fun to watch. They were great and they scored a couple of tries. They were pushing for at least a losing bonus point at one point. Unfortunately, the game kind of slipped away from the last 20 minutes or mm. so, but it was really enjoyable to watch. We discovered some new players that we love, some old players that we still love, which we will come on to later on. But they'd done brilliantly, and it was actually described as arguably their greatest Rugby World Cup performance ever yeah. in Namibia. Which, from what we've seen, probably isn't too unfair. I think there's a, there's a handful. We talk about the Fiji one, don't we? And, of course, and they infamously, gone. the Canada game that got called off in the last yes. World Cup, and where they, they went on to win the rearranged fixture. Yes. So, we've already said, when we cover that World Cup, we'll talk about that rearranged fixture instead. We, we will, We'll yes. do an episode on that. And also, they did get a try bonus point in the game in 2015, uh, yes, which we'll one true. day cover. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that Ireland game was, was one of the best games that they've ever played in Rugby World Cup history, which is, you know, it's a great thing. <laughs> I think it's probably safe to say they burn themselves out a little bit. <laughs> but, still... France are the host nation. They've just come off a loss to Argentina in the opening round where there was so much pressure on them to to deliver an open round win, as there always is. And clearly they've been bollocked in the week and they've, they've given everybody else a go in the second team and gone, right, okay, you show why you're better than those pricks have gone and lost, right? Bernard Laporte, who, lest we forget, was a French coach at the time. Yes. Rather than a man in prison, as he is now. Yeah. He said in the week that they wanted retribution for what has happened. They needed to put themselves back on the map. They needed to make themselves contenders and very much made the point, actually, <laughs> he kind of tried to spin it as a good thing of saying, well, before this game, we didn't know what we had to do to win the group. You know, it was all like, we just want to do well and whatever. Whereas now we know we need to win the free game remaining. <laughs> so that's a real positive for us is we have very clear objectives. Brilliant. Brilliant. And yeah, great work. Okay, that's that's how you motivate your team. He always speaks sense, Bernard Laporte, doesn't he? Yes. It's very uh, out of character that he would not say something that makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. Infamously, infamously, always a straight shooter who never cuts corners or <laughs> hides things, uh, not least from the French police. So yeah, he prepared the team by making 13 changes to yeah. the starting 15. Which is which is a few. That's, I would mm. say, most of the team. But, I mean, they went on to score 13 tries. So I wonder, is there something in this? Maybe there is. Maybe next time you should make, I don't know, like four changes and then they'll they'll get a try bonus point or something. Look, all I'm going to say is Namibia make one change and score one try. (gasps) So It's a perfect ratio of changes to tries for both teams. That's satisfying for probably somebody out there. What I'm saying... I don't care, but... What I'm saying is if Hugo Horner dropped the bench... (laughs) And Jacques Berger hadn't played. Yeah. And Michael McKenzie hadn't existed like he doesn't. And look, maybe if, from the Island game that changed, maybe if they rotated out 14 of their players, and we know which one yeah. they're retaining. Yes. Maybe if they changed 14 players, they would have won 92-87. Yeah, I think that's almost nailed on. That's almost guaranteed. That is. In retrospect, it's stupid that they didn't. Yeah, why didn't they? Why didn't they? Why didn't they? What were you thinking, Hackies Hustleman? <laughs> yeah, Hackies Hustleman. <laughs> God, that was his name. That's the Namibian head coach, Hacky's Hustle. And former scrum half in his own right. Oh, was he? It's good to know. It's played to know. The problem with Hacky's Hustleman, right, is that he played in an era where he didn't qualify for the World Cup. <laughs> so, oh no, he did. He went to the 2003 World Cup. There we go. That'll that so, teach you. Yep. 
So we will get to cover Hacky Sussman one day. Yes. So he was, he's one of those record people that goes straight from retiring into na- coaching his mm. national team in four years. Yeah. Which Inside is incredible. Pablo Lemoyne did that with Uruguay. I don't know how many other people have done that in, yeah. you know, retired as a player and been coaching as a head coach. By That's the really impressive. Like of a national, of your own national yeah. team. You get it's, the old, like Leo Cullen did it pretty quickly at Leicester. Yeah. I think it was two years between retiring and being head coach. Sure. There's a few other cases like that. Yeah. But. To be international impressive team? enough, like yeah. international rugby, yeah, fair play, fair play. Good old Hask Hackies Hustleman, but he should have made thirteen more changes to his starting team. I think we can probably conclude, right? Yes, he made one error. I think, yeah, I think so. Should we look at said Namibian starting team? Let's do it because what a team they have out. It is, it's great. I mean, first and foremost, right? There's one guy I want to talk about. Can we talk about Keith Lensing, the captain? Oh, you want to talk about Keith Lensing? I've, I'm sorry, I've, you want to talk about Keith Lensing? I've become a fan of his over the last two games. I think he's the captain, and he's simultaneously like, it's like he's a vet's captain, who, like, every time they're under the sticks and uh, they're in the huddle, mm. he goes, well, back in my day, we used to have this tactic called rucking, where we would stamp on everybody. And I suggest we do a little bit more of that. And there's this tiny little kid who's like 19 and sticks his hand and goes, no, but the referee says you're not allowed to do that anymore. And he's like, yes, I don't care. Like, we, we, this is what we're supposed to do. That's the vibe I get off Keith Lensing. You know what Keith Lensing went on to do after he retired? What? Don't you? He became head coach of the Seattle Seawolves in MLR. Oh, what a guy! So he got them to an MLR final. <laughs> do you think that was entirely by stamping? I think so. I think so. I'm shocked it's that he didn't go and coach in the Prodigy. One of my favourite moments of the game mm-hmm. is <laughs> at one point, uh, Vincent Clair puts through this really clever little kick from, you know, he's kind of alone in the backfield, has to kick under pressure, gets it away, does really well to kind of beat his man and get the kick away. And the only person covering back, or the person close to the ball at least, <laughs> yes. is Keith Lensing, the loose head prop. <laughs> Who takes the ball and he doesn't have a moment of going, I should look for support. I should consider what's on. He goes, good. It's finally my time. They've all yeah. been pissing about trying to counterattack. I'm about to show them how it's done. And he takes two steps and the defense is caught up. It's amazing. A few moments of context which really helped that as well. Mm. One of them is the fact that they ended up with Heine Bock playing fullback and Bless him. He's not a fullback. We'll talk about that a little bit more as time goes on. Mm. But that originally comes from France have just scored like six tries on the bounce and Yannick Nyanga has the ball in the wide channels and Lensing just fucking kills him. He just <laughs> absolutely flies into his ribs. Nyanga loses the ball about 20 metres downfield. Now maybe you kick it further downfield. Then they kick it back where Lensing's clearly been having a lie down after making that tackle. It's like, bloody hell, that was good from me, wasn't it? I shut down an overlap. But if they expect me to move again in the next... Oh, shit. They've kicked it to me. <laughs> so, Keith Lansing was playing for the Bulls, and he was, like, really highly rated okay, for the yeah, Bulls. Yeah. Like, a really great scrummager. Signs for Leeds Carnegie to go and play in the Premiership when they got promoted the season before this World Cup. And then, off the back of this World Cup, because he was a bloody exceptional hero lad... And counter-attacker, yeah. Yep. He signs a contract with London Irish. Oh, Okay. He signs with London Irish, who, of course, at the time, head coach, Brian Smith. <laughs> of course. Of course, doing well for himself. Yep. However, right, he signed the contract there before the World Cup. He then, immediately before this World Cup, like in that kind of period, goes, I don't want to play for London Irish. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to go to bloody London and pretend to drink Guinness. <laughs> I don't want to sign for a club that one day might make a very controversial signing. 
And he goes, I'm just going to go home to South Africa. So he signs for the Sharks, having already signed for London Irish. Oh, what? So he'd signed for London Irish, but didn't actually play for them? Didn't play for them. Oh, Didn't wow. play for them. Signed for London Irish, then decided he changed his mind and just went elsewhere. Good on you, son! <laughs> Brian Smith absolutely hated this. <laughs> like, he thought this was horrible. The BBC headline over it was Smith attacks Lensing over move. I choose to believe with a weapon. A weapon, yes. Smith said, this is desperately disappointing. Keyes has gone back on his word and we are not happy with him or his agent. I have signed papers from Jason Smith, his agent, and I shook hands on the deal with Keyes himself in in person about two weeks ago. Oh, wow. We're trying to get hold of Keyes to confirm his position before we make any rash decisions. The thing is, at that point... He's going to meet up with him again and say, are you going to sign for us then? If he does, he's getting, like, he's not having a good relationship no. with the coach. No. That can't end well. Now You've that already he's burnt your bridge. And his agent as well. Yeah. Like, he's name dropped his agent and, like, basically gone for a diss track on him. <laughs> there's, there's no way this works out for you, Brian. No. But Eddie Jones, meanwhile, was found to have actually negotiated the moves to the Sharks. He was coaching the Sharks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was in South Africa at the time, I suppose. Maybe he did this. This is exactly <laughs> the sort of thing he'd do. It is the sort of petty shit Eddie Jones would go up to. Is see Brian Smith has signed a Namibian loose head and just go, you know what? Like he's not having him. Like no. show me a clip of him, see if he's any good. Oh, is him doing a counter attack? Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, he's not great, but we'll give him a go. Yeah, yeah. We'll sign him instead. Brian can sulk. The other thing that happened, right, is his agent leaked the salary that both clubs were going to pay him to the media and like artificially inflated up because <laughs> they were like oh well well don't you see this is the contract he signed with london irish they're offering this much you want to offer more with the sharks and they're like yeah right we'll offer him more <laughs> so he ends up as one of the highest paid players at the time what a guy i love that jason smith his agent is clearly a piece of shit <laughs> Exactly. But very good amazing at being an agent. agent. Yeah. Amazing agent. Are we basically his agent's agent? We yeah. should be. We should try and get him some work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh his name is Jason Smith. J A S O N S M I T H, I believe that's mm. spelled that correctly. If you're looking for an agent as a professional rugby player, specifically one that will be spiked signed by Eddie Jones. So if you're Australian qualified mm. and also qualified for another nation that Brian Smith might end up coaching in the next couple of years, then please get in touch with Jason Smith. Yes. Do you want the other thing? Oh, the other thing? The other thing. I mean, he went on to sign for Cast after this World Cup, played okay, in top yeah. team, bloody, bloody, blah, you know, helped them qualify for the next World Cup, then retired, then disappeared. However, right, there's one other note about Keys Lensing. Okay. Which is that just before this World Cup in 2007, he had a conversation, and I'm not sure if it was just the media or with the actual coaches in South Africa about playing for the Springboks. Oh. And the thing is, he said the World Rugby won't let me play for the Springboks because I played for Namibia in the last World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) He should have thought that through before playing for Namibia. But he had, apparently he had a conversation about it. And I don't know if it's just with the media. It's hard to find like actual details on. But he just, he just went and had a chat and was just like, I wonder if I could play for the Springboks. I am currently Namibia's captain. (laughs) (laughs) Is that going to stand in the way? I love the thought that he went and met up with Jake White and was like... And Eddie Jones. And Eddie Jones. Uh, it was like, hi guys, I'm Keith, nice to meet you. 
so yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to the opportunity of potential training with you guys. Mm. How would you feel about that, Jake slash Eddie? I, I would, I would love that. Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. We'd love that. Uh, are you got any club contracts coming up, by the way? Yeah, I've got, I've got some, I've got some club commitments and so on. Uh, I might be going to uh, London Irish, but we'll, we'll feel that. If, if that impacts my opportunities of playing for the Springboks. Yeah, mate. Then please let me know because I can potentially see if I can go back on that. Definitely, I've got a really mate. good Definitely, agent. mate. Uh, yeah. I reckon we've got, uh, four contracts with the Sharks. We can offer Okay. You. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go um, to Sharks. That's how's fine. a, how's a million dollars a season? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I'm on 990 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. grand. We can sort that for you, mate. Yes, okay. We can thank sort you, that for mate. you. Yeah. So first, my, where I pride myself in my game uh, is my scrummaging yeah. and my counterattacking. Uh, is that something that you're looking at, looking for in a loose head prop? Oh, that's like a yeah. I uh, yeah, mate. Uh, we're looking for a loose head prop who can uh, scrummage. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and then we want we always want hybrid players, mate. Okay, that's brilliant to hear. That's brilliant to hear. So, would you say that I'm probably going to be in your top three choices of prop to go to the World Cup? We can't make promises, mate. Uh, yeah, we could not make, we have CJ van der Linde. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Nova props. So yeah, probably. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, well, one last thing that I should probably mention mm. before we go. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently, I do, you mentioned about club commitments before and there's a lot we can do about that. Uh, I'm also currently the captain of the Namibian national team and I've played for them several times in the past. Is that going to be an issue? Ah, shouldn't be, shouldn't be. Okay. No, um, I wouldn't think so. Okay. Um, I am Kingsley Jones. (laughs) (laughs) I yeah. How are you doing, bud? I'm all right. I'm for some reason I'm in from the Midlands in England (laughs) as well. And scene. That was good. That was good. That was good. That was was exactly what happened. Yeah. (laughs) As if he thought that. The thing is, nowadays he'd be able to do that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And like we've seen it recently with Mackenzie Carson, the Canadian mm. prop, stood down, didn't go to the last World Cup with Canada because she could go and re-qualify and play for England, which yeah. she's done yeah. and is now playing for the Red Roses, uh, which is mental, right? But rarely you see somebody thinking they can make that step up, you know? Yes. Um, and it, I know it sounds harsh to say that going from the All Blacks to Tonga is a step down, but realistically... But in world ranking terms, in yes. history terms, you know. Yes. Yeah, but... The fact that he didn't know mm. and went and actually had that conversation is hilarious. Or maybe he just wanted to leave it out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> fact he's it's like, it's like a married man not wanting to tell this like person he's flirting with that he's married. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't want the person he's having an affair with to know he's married. And he's like, except the affair is playing for the spring box in the world cup. Is he going to like, would he have to miss his doubt fire it and like put on a <laughs> Namibian kit and run over to play for the spring box and change out of it? Like when they played each other in a world cup warm up, <laughs> he's having to like at the scrum fill in both sides and like change his top and run over and scrum on the other side as well. They're at half at the same time. Goes, so I'm just going to go to the, uh, the physio room. All right. Yeah. Or the toilet, you know, and then goes in, changes it, puts a mask on or a scrum cap or whatever. Hello. I am Lise Kensing. Uh, I'm the, sorry. I'm in the wrong changing room. I'm South African. He has and to he, do the kick and then counterattack from it, regathering yeah, himself. Exactly. He has to run around like bloody Billy Wiz and run under. At one point, he calls for the ball from the opposition team and they're like, wait a minute. You're South African. <laughs> Thankfully, the two accents are similar enough that he doesn't have to adapt them much. Well, he, he has a Midlands accent as well. <laughs> that's true. Though, that's so. true. <laughs> it's very confusing that there's one guy from each team. It's all very confusing. Yeah, but nobody cracked that Lee Kensing was the same guy. No, and they should have. Yeah, they should have. So, the rest of the Namibian team, <laughs> yes. right? 
As I said, they largely stick with the same team. Hugo Horn keeps his place at hooker. What a yeah. player. Big fan of that guy. There's a guy called Michael McKenzie on the flank, who I don't think is real. No. I really tried to Google him, and it's really hard to find any information. There's mm. some debate of whether his name should be spelled with an A or not in okay. McKenzie. Okay. Uh, in the two websites, don't say it, say it's not. There's just MC. Most say it's MAC, so I'm going with MAC. Sure. That's what, he's That's what I have down as. Yeah, yeah. Every, most places that are kind of reputable, but a few places clearly have it wrong. Um, <laughs> an, speaking of MLR, there was one that went on to play in MLR for a bit, and Michael McKenzie. Oh, okay. There's like a baseballer called Michael McKenzie. There's all sorts of people called Michael McKenzie. Could, that could Hard be a similar to, story to Keith Lancey. Yeah. <laughs> he plays Hard for to everyone. Find anything about him other than he's got eight caps in Namibia. When your name is that ungoogleable, you can play for anybody. You can break as many rules as you like. Idea. Yeah. Marcus Smith's a pretty ungoogleable name. There we go. Play for is the Philippines, bro. Yeah. Any test players that are as ungoogleable as Marcus Smith. Yeah. Then again, I do reckon if you search Marcus Smith on Google, Ryan Wilson. That's possible. That's doable. That's yeah, doable. that's doable. You know, Wales have got so many Joneses. We could probably get like Adam Jones, Ryan Jones. There we go. They could have requalified and played for a second Wales. Because like, no, we're they're full not of innovative anyone, ideas on this podcast. Hugh Jones. There we go. Hugh yeah. Jones could play for Wales. Yeah. No one would question that. Yeah. Like he's not actually qualified for Wales, but no one would have questioned it if he did. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like we don't know Bradley Roberts is qualified. No. I think he just changed his name by deed poll. Yeah. So just like, okay. It just yeah. sounds Welsh enough, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, Michael McKenzie joins Jack Nivenhouse and Jacques Berger in that back row. Mm. Good back row, probably. Good back row. I mean, I don't know really what Michael McKenzie's like, even after watching him play for 80 <laughs> yep. minutes, but he makes one really good turnover. Yeah. And that's sort of it. It's all he does in the game. Yeah, fair enough. Emil Vessels at 10. Oh, God, what a player. What the, a player. The playable character himself. Yes. That's what he uh, established in the previous episode. I'm endlessly fascinated by Emil Vessels. Yes. Um, in a slightly Andrew Monroe-ish way. Yeah, He doesn't yeah, get look it, like it, a fly it. half at all. And then he kicks the ball. He's like, holy shit, he that's gone like a long He looks like Dion way. He does. <laughs> Like, imagine if Dion Fury decided I'm in the Namibian fly half now <laughs> before he got his cap last year. I, I really like Emil Vessels. I really <laughs> like him. He's just the most unlikely good fly half I've ever seen, I think. But he's got something of like, you can understand how Tynes Kotzer grew up watching this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tynes Kotzer, who is one of those players that we reference on this podcast all the time as though he's a big name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rather than just being like a 10 cap Namibian and I'm fly not half. willing to change that. No. To be honest. I think the most important name in this team is Nana 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 Fit Boy. Now that clips. So they have a. We improvised that. A ter. I was thinking it this morning though when I was going to this game. We we have a terrific back three. Yeah. For Namibia, right? I mean, so France have Clement Patrino, Vincent Claire, Cedric Haymans out. Don't give a shit. No. Don't give a shit. We're talking Heine Bock. Yeah. Right? Heine Bock. Tell me about Heine Bock. Heine Bock is, I would say, quite a fast winger. Has a decent enough skill set on him, but he's really, really good at playing on the wing. Yes. Yeah, outstanding playing on the wing. Went on to play in the 20-level World Cup as well. Yeah. Was good in that. Yeah. Like, good player. Good, good player. player. Good, good player. player. Good player. Right? At fullback, we have... <laughs> Tortoise Losper. <laughs> I thought you called him a tortoise. Tortoise, tortoise Lopser. Yeah. No. TC Losper. TC Losper. TC Losper. Yes. Who, tell you what, right? He bloody puts the territory in Tirstus. Losper. Territory. Basically, right? He, he is a boot in search of a player to go with him. Yeah. He is an outstanding kicker of the ball. He can bloody welly it a massive, massive way. 
again, one of my favourite moments in this game is at 54-3 down, <laughs> deep in the second half, Namibia get a penalty in the corner behind the 10-metre line in their own half. So you're looking on the angle at probably about 71 metres. Yes. He's kicking from, and he goes points it. <laughs> yeah, we can this. pull it back to 54-6, surely we're going to win this. And we've taken the piss out of this kind of thing a lot, but... You know that was his call. The captain wanted nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with that. And you see him go down the, the line on, a few times. Bring like, the tee on. Bring the tee on. There we are. I can't get overruled now. So Namibia's go-to tactic in this game is pass back in the 22 so Lospa can nail it <laughs> yeah. down like solidly the French 22. So like off that penalty, you probably could have put it on a five-meter line. If not the five-meter line in a different stadium. You know, he could have nailed it into Stade Toulouse on rather than Stadium de Toulouse. I tell you what, there was a guy I once played against when I was like 18 who, I think he played for like Chesterfield or somewhere like that, mm. right? And he was like the largest man I've ever seen. Like, imagine like the biggest front rower you've ever seen play. Mm. It was like a third, third yeah, player, yeah. proper thirds player who was like absolutely fucking massive, right? And... I looked at him and thought, like, Jesus Christ, I hope he doesn't run down my channel, like, very often. Because, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, tackling front rows is okay as long as they're not, like, quick ones. Yeah. But, especially, like, at thirds level, you know, which I was playing. And then I realised he was holding the ball for the kickoff. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And as the first scrum set, I realised he was my opposite number and he was playing (laughs) ten. But he had the most incredibly accurate boot that I have basically ever played against uh, as a third player he had an insanely accurate boot he had a fantastic spin pass off both hands <laughs> and just like it was like well he's not a running threat is yeah. he but the thing is occasionally he would do like if he didn't mark him he would just take a gap and make a little bit of a good carry and it was just like it was just impossible to defend he was genuinely incredible and the thing is he was big he was i hate to use this word but he was fatter than the props mm. and like his his skill set was so incredible that you just you looked at him and you thought, right, he's a weakness. But it just wasn't. Yeah. And you couldn't... One of those but, players that probably fails the sight test so hard that you ignore the fact that he's incredible. He was so good. And that's the vibe I get off TC Losper, right? Yes. He's bloody huge and he doesn't want to move around the park unless he absolutely has to. Yeah. But he can bloody welly the ball. He loves it. He's a great kicker of the ball. Yeah. And it's a real highlight having him in the team. Because he gives maybe a weapon that for the first 20 minutes they use really intelligently, mm. I think. The combination of him and Vessels. And Vessels goes off injured after about 10, 15 yeah. minutes. As far as I can tell, Losper moves into 10. He does. Because he seems yeah. to be standing at 10 most often. Yeah. But I don't know if he just does that anyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to boot the ball. That's his favourite thing. It's bloody one of his favourite things. Yeah. But yes, joining those two in the back three... Is of course Vip Boy. Vip Boy, Vip Boy, Vip Boy. In case you missed our previous episode on Ireland against Namibia. Where have you been? Where have you been? Because that was one of our favourite games and that was where we first discovered also, Vip like, Boy. Come on, this is France 87, Namibia 10. <laughs> the only people listening to this are the ones that listen to every episode. That's true, that's true. We're not, we're not picking up new listeners. <laughs> taking a chance on this one. No, that's true. But Vip Boy. Vip Boy. Boy, do we love Vip Boy. Vip Boy. The most thrilling thing to happen to rugby since, I'm going to say they added shorts into the game. (laughs) 
the top of my page, I have written Vitboy time uh, yes. as I, as I start my notes here because I've been literally counting down the weeks to watch this guy play again. He's so phenomenally exciting when he gets the ball. And there's one thing that uh, I noticed about Vitboy, and mm. you might have you might have maybe noticed this a little bit. He loves to have a crack. <laughs> he loves to have a crack. Do you know what he doesn't love? What tackling. <laughs> He doesn't which mind came, tackling. Which came far more useful in this game than having a crack, I noticed. I think, I, I, I wouldn't agree that he doesn't like tackling. There's a few very well, good no, tackles. He makes, he, makes. Some, he makes some tackles. I'm not saying he doesn't, he clearly hates it. <laughs> what he doesn't like is working hard. <laughs> yeah. And the thing we've established about Vitboy, and this will come up again in this episode, is he doesn't have a bottom speed, he only has a top speed. Yes. He either stands still or he sprints. Yes. There's no in between, and that, I think, is impactful on how this game goes. He's like, you remember bloody Lego Stunt Rally? Yes. This is a very niche reference. You did when compare you it could... to a car in tra- Gran Turismo before. Yeah, 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 yeah. When well, you could set, like, your car's acceleration to 100, and yes. it hit, like, its top speed instantly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I love it, boy, and yeah. I'm so... So pleased that we got to watch him again. And look, he doesn't get the ball very much. And he really doesn't. Um, which is a shame. I was in the room as you watched the second half of this game and heard you say, "Give it to Vitboy three times," and at least two of which I figured out France were in possession when you said <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, of course they were. Let me tell you, when I watched this game, I, I watched it just on my own in my living room, and several times just said, "Give it to Vitboy. Go on, give it to Vitboy." And especially when it wasn't necessary, because that's when you know he was most calling for the ball. Yes, it's just you know we've all seen those players, those Shane Williamses those Abidows of the world who are undeniable joys when they get the ball. Yes. You know, he's one of those. He's, he's one of those players who he you just want to see, you want to see have a crack. But the thing is, he didn't get much ball, but I was so hard on BitBoy Watch. Just everything he did, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I noted down. So we'll talk a lot more about him than we would another player who did a proportionate amount to him in this mm. game. But... Can we also mention, at 13, Namibia have Bradley Langenhoven. They do have Bradley <laughs> Langenhoven, allegedly. Bradley Langenhoven went on to play his club rugby with Vipboy. They both signed together for the German champions oh, after this. Yes. So I don't know if they just saw Langenhoven and thought, he's got to be German. We're yeah. signing him. He sounds German. Yeah. But I don't know. He's clearly a really good friend of Vipboy. Because the two of them went on to play all of their club rugby together. They came through playing university rugby together and then went on to play professional rugby in Germany together. So, in Frankfurt. So, I don't know, I just want to mention him because he's Vitboy's friend. Yeah, yeah. And a friend of Vitboy's is a friend of mine. And the podcast. Good old Vitboy. So, France name a bloody good team of just, like, phenomenal (laughs) rugby players. They really do, yeah. Like, you look through this and you're like, oh, they made 13 changes. Like, this wasn't the team they'll start... Right, that's why they lost to Argentina. This wasn't the team they were starting. Yeah. It does feel like a massive upgrade, doesn't it? It does. You mentioned the board. The back three of Heymour, Poitrineau, Claire, which mm. is like, that's three world-class ta- talents right there. Yep. You could argue maybe not world-class players, but world-class talents, absolutely. And also just really balanced. Yeah, like, yeah. Poitrineau solid at the back. Claire, world-class finisher. Heymour is that little bit of Le French flair. It's such a good back three. Halfbacks I want to mention as well. Jean-Baptiste Elisard and yes. Freddie Michelac as Freddy the halfback. Freddie Michelac at 10. Here's the thing, right? I want one day us to do just a Freddie Michelac retrospective because I keep hearing that he's good, you know? <laughs> and I know he has some good form in the lead up to the 2003 World Cup and maybe in the pool state of the 2003 World Cup. 
but I never saw... <laughs> You'd see odd moments of him being, you know, flashes of genius or whatever. But I never saw Freddy Mishlock have just like an outright good game. I think it's probably generational a little bit mm. that we saw... I think I was going to say the latter bit of his career. It wasn't. We just saw not the early bit. We saw the second half of his career. Yeah, yeah. of, of Mishlak's career. Like, 2015 Rugby World Cup, he went as France's first choice fly half. Which is still mental. Which is mental. And he was not only shit in that World Cup, as far as I could remember, but he was shit in all the campaigns he started leading up to that. Yeah. And it sh- look, there was absolutely no evidence that he should have been playing there. He was playing at 9 for Toulon at the time, mm. and got it at 10 for France, despite having not played there in years. So, like, what did you expect him to be like? Mm. I don't know. I can't figure out... I find Freddie Mitchell, like, hilarious, by the yes. way. And I can't help but love him. Like, I kind of love him like, in the same way I, like, I love George Furbank, you know? You know yeah. I love that... I mean, it's not quite the same. It's not quite yeah. the same. I love that he would, like, piss off during the season because he wanted to do his radio show instead, yeah. you know? I love that he was this kind of grand character that you thought, wouldn't survive into professionalism. Yeah. And he existed for quite a long time. You know, he, extremely years French. professionalism he was there. So French. One of the Frenchest players of all time. Yeah. And I don't know if we have kind of, in talking around Freddie Michelac so much, not quite done him justice in terms of the kind of level of character he it's was. It's difficult though, isn't it? But that's the thing. And also his reputation very much precedes him. He's one of those players that you just hear about forever. You know? Also, you kinda... his hair in this mm. game. His hair in this game is a problem. Please tell me more. Please discuss. So he has like a shaved head, mm. but the bits he has shaved are forward pointing arrows just constantly throughout his, like from the front to the back of his head. He has just forward facing arrows shaven into his head and which matched the French kit of the time, which had those <laughs> arrows on the kit. I didn't even know that. These like blue arrows pointed up on the French kit. And I will add, beautifully done. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For what he was trying to have. A skillful artisan is producing. Yes, yes. Like, it was, you know, it's not like there's one patch where he got always, he's missed a little bit there. Yeah. Whoever cuts Freddie Michelak's hair, kudos to you. Mm. But also, why would you choose to have that? Yeah. Oh, it's the same thing as, like, Elton Yankees. Yes. Who, you're like, <laughs> you know what? Just fuck my shit up. <laughs> yeah. Whoever's done that has done a wonderful job. It's horrible. But, like, you've done exactly what he has for. Yeah. Like, did he go to the hairdressers and show them the Viaplay logo and say, get me that, please? <laughs> if only. <laughs> but yeah, Michelac has a typically bonkers game where you're like, I can't tell if you played well or badly. I've just realised what happened. He took in a picture of like, who's got beautiful hair? Like a Relion Rougerie mm. in the full French kit and said, can you have it like that, please? <laughs> And then he shaved the French kit in there. It's like, that should be all right. And there wasn't a mirror, so he never got corrected. Anyway, it's always looked at the shirt. <laughs> He's dyed it blue as well. Yeah. I expect by the quarterfinals he will have blue hair. He's absolutely nailed on. Look, I've been saying this for four years. Damien Penno's going to bleach his hair before the World Cup. It's going to happen. I'm only just starting to shake now. Like, up until literally the last week of the Six Nations, I was dead set confident in this. And I'm starting to waver a bit. Like, is it just, is it just not going to happen? Yeah, it but just feels so I right, said this though. first during the 2019 World Cup. I have been holding on to this prediction for four years. And let me tell you, the odds have gotten better and better since <laughs> yeah. then. Like, he's only having more and more mental breakdowns per game uh, yes. than he, he even used to. He's bizarre, Damien Pedro. He might bleach at the week of the final. I could see it happening. I could see it happening. 
Or like the week of like a pool match. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Against Uruguay. You suddenly rock him in the Uruguay with, yeah, like bright yellow hair. Yeah. I could see him like dying it red. Yeah. I, the thing is, like, I would never be able to predict what Damian Pena's done. You know, yeah, it's, that's the closest anybody has come to predicting <laughs> yes. something well that Damian Pena could possibly do. So the French pack is also oh, incredible. And inc- like, so much more impressed than the previous pack. Like, I kind of, when you look at these two teams next to each other, I think the only kind of, the only player where I wouldn't necessarily take the player that comes in for them to play Namibia over the player that started against Argentina is what, maybe Dmitry Sarzewski for uh, Rafael Imbenez? Yes, I think that's fair enough. But Dmitry Sarzewski makes up for it in looks. Yeah, so exactly. it's fine. You've got to take the photo of someone in the kit in order for Gasperly <laughs> right? really to take it in. Yeah. Or like, I mean, they're back five. Let's, let's look at that. Chabal and Nale in the second row. Yeah. Sebastian Chabal needs no introduction. Sebastian like. Chabal had, off the bench, was one of France's best players in the last game. A five one of the best games of You know what? I'm learning a lot impact. about Sebastian Chabal. I always thought, like, he was a lot to look at, you know? Mm. Like, you look at him and, like, he's terrifying. But I always kind of assume, he's like, he doesn't have the skills to back it up. One of those players that was a star. Yeah. You know? He was a star, a presence, undeniable to marketing opportunity. Yeah. And, was was he a world-class player as much as he was a star yes. you know it's like that thing of i think there's a big difference between movie stars and actors yeah and you get some like tom cruise is a phenomenal actor and like the greatest movie star of all time yeah and that allows him to be both because he is both sure very rare in rugby you get a player who is a massive star but not necessarily a great player yes because rugby leans so hard in the other direction absolutely um you get I lots think... of great actors but not many great movie stars i remember seeing something that the rugby world cup posted about sebastian chabal mm. recently and all of the comments said about how overrated he yeah. was. And what I'm learning watching these World Cups back, and look, it might come the case that in big games he just disappears or whatever. Yeah. But what I'm learning watching this back, that says so much more about the hype around him than about him as a player. Yeah. Because yeah. he is exceptional in this game. He was brilliant off the bench in the previous game. And I know that the opposition's but, not, you know, great here. So it might just be that if you put him against a shit opposition, he'll be brilliant. Yeah. And but you put him against the opposition, he This was but... very much his kind of peak years, though. It was like, yeah. kind of like 2004 to 2008-ish. Yeah. Where he was really at his peak. Yeah. And then he goes back to Racing, and it kind of starts to slide from there downhill. Sure. And I think he still stays in the French team until 2011. You know, yeah. He still hangs around, but by that point, he's very much there because he's experienced and he's scary. Yes. Rather than because he's... Technically as good as, yeah. you know, Julien Pierre. Um, but you see so much more of him charging in this game than I did from the what I remember of his playing career. Yeah. Obviously, as we talked about in previous episodes, a lot of it is before my time. Yeah. Uh, before our time, collectively. <laughs> but yeah, I think Chabal is fantastic. Yeah. Game. Like, at his scary, terrifying best. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Lionel Nale, also a brilliant, brilliant second yeah. row. And that back row of Yannick Nyonga, Thierry Doucetois, and Julien Bonaire. Mate, three of the best back rowers France have produced in the professional era. They're all unbelievable. Like, like you look three at France's of the top five current back row, and they would all push them for yeah. a spot well, in the team. Two, sorry, I'm saying okay. I'm going to say Dusitwan Bonera, top five. Yeah. Nyonga is exceptional in his own right. Yes, yes. Nyonga is basically like the best second choice flanker that they've yes. had in a long time. I mean, you could argue Anthony Jalonch, but he kind of start. He doesn't necessarily start, but I think there is a legacy of a particular kind of flanker that it looked like Cameron Wokey was going to fill that mould mm. and he's obviously started to play second row more and he's become like a different yes. player genetically gifted is Cameron Wokey yes incredibly quick very mobile love to run the ball and yeah also f- like tireless workers 
and technically incredibly gifted. Yeah. But there's like a really specific thing that like, Dustuan Bonnet don't fit into that. And like, Olivon doesn't, Olivon is in the Magnate mold, you know, Oliver Manier, like very different player. Whereas I think, yeah, Nyanga is like, almost starts something that French rugby have been chasing ever since to sure. find another player like him. Sure. And you look at his kind of breakthrough he had where he was mm. huge and scored loads of tries in the Six Nations and, yeah. you know, but ended up on the cover of Rugby of Six in France. Thinking about it as well, actually, Sekou Makalu is probably kind of yeah, in that yeah, mould yeah, a little exactly, bit. Yeah. In that he's like a hybrid <laughs> flank winger. And I feel like if Yannick Nyanga came through in the modern day, I, I wonder if he will have got some time in the back line. Yeah. You know, like Makalu does, because he get, he has caps on the wing. Yeah. Nyanga is the perfect player to have in a game like this, I think. Yeah. Um, where your side's going to run rampant and he will have so many good touches no matter how the game goes. And guess what? He does. Yeah. Yeah. And was one of the, alongside Chabal was one of those players that was marketed heavily in the lead up to this World Cup. Sure. Because he was exciting to watch and he was kind of terrifying. And yeah. I said, like, end up on the cover of Rugby 6 and Rugby 8 Yeah. France. Which is mad. Um, and so that was being really pushed as the game for this, you know, the tying game for this World Cup. Yeah. That was a huge deal, him being the cover star alongside Richie McCall. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's mm. great. Big fan of Yannick Younger. Mm. In the lead up to the game, so we have French commentary on here. Yes. And <laughs> we've got those interesting two French fellas that they've got on the start. It's an all Thierry broadcast team. Oh, is it now? Who says rugby isn't woke? <laughs> Everyone involved is called Thierry. Both pundits presenting are called Thierry and the commentator's called Thierry. <laughs> so when the two pundits are talking about, I love these guys, by the mm. way, they're having a lot of fun. And as we've established before, my French isn't brilliant, but it's, it, I understand a little bit of it. But they talk about Team France for, you know, three, four, five minutes. Mm. And then they talk about Namibia very briefly for, I'd say around 30 seconds, in which time they bring up the word respect twice. <laughs> Says a lot about how this game, this matchup, you know, they have a little chat and then they get to the, the national anthems. And can I just have a word for, both of these national anthems absolutely slap. Yeah. Yeah. Land of the Brave is brilliant. Underrated anthem. Underrated Very underrated. Anthem. I like that it takes, a, it's a long build up to it. It's like, it's a good, solid, like, workman-like anthem. Then when you get to them finally saying Namibia. Yes. It's like so impassioned. You've got so much built up by then. Yeah. And all really these players anthem belted it. Yeah. It's great. And yeah, like La Marseillaise in France is always a joy. Mm. And I, I, I think we said this before on the podcast, but we're going to see that later this yeah, year. And I yeah. cannot wait for that. And like this game's in Toulouse, which is one of the best atmospheres in Europe. So European good. It's, it's such a good France atmosphere. France playing there. Yeah, the atmosphere is amazing. It's brilliant. I think it's the best atmosphere of this tournament so far. I would agree. I would agree with that. Even better than the opening game. Yeah. Which says a lot. Yeah, but also, like, France massively shit the bed and they turn on them. So, what are you expecting? Yeah. But yeah, phenomenal atmosphere in, in Toulouse. And yeah, the anthem really brought that to life a great deal. For certain. Should we talk about the game then? I guess we should. Let's get to the kickoff. We're basically there on record time. I know. Ten seconds into the game, Van Claire makes a break. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of go, oh, this is what we're in for. Yeah. Right, okay. This is what we sign up for. You know what, Namibia? Like... You guarantee at some point in those huddles under the sticks, at some point they went, well, yeah, but we were great against Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Which they were. And you know what? Like, we've not come here for no reason, you know? But like, you know straight away how this is going to go. Literally about 30 seconds in, right? France have already made two line breaks. And you're thinking like, 
then maybe you need to do something exceptional to stop, like to kill this momentum so it's not going to be like this whole game. And Jacques Nivenhaus comes up with it by, from the first angle, I will describe it as how I saw it. Yeah. Smashes Yannick Nyanga, okay? Mm. Uh, I thought that's much needed. That's a huge hit. That's a really good thing that they've done that to stunt the momentum and go, no, we're in the mm. game. You need that big moment, you know. Then you see the reverse angle and go, oh, that's the highest tackle I've ever seen. You're skipping forward like 20 minutes. I'm not. This is the first play of the game. Sorry, does he do it twice? Go up. <laughs> does he do it seven times? He does it three times. In the first play of the game, he like clotheslines. I remember, it, I didn't realize it was a clothesline. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Recontextualizes things. So, Jacques Nivenhaus is a player who I think we're both fans of him. We right, both good think player. he's a really good, good player. player. We One both... of those great tier two players. Yeah. Who very specifically probably, if he'd come through like the England or South Africa or whatever system, he probably wouldn't have reached the heights and been as good a player as he was. Yeah. Here. There's something that kind of elevates him because he's playing for an underdog. He's just one of those players that has like an atmosphere and an aura to him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great player. Great player. Yeah. And like in the previous game against Ireland, we both gave him man of the match. Yes. His work rate was absolutely excellent, made some really big hits, and his discipline was great. Anyway, if we get to two minutes in, this game is so incredibly fast-paced that I kind of look at it and go like, oh, Namibia, you can make your tackles now, but you will not be able to keep up with this when we're half an hour I, in. So I think for the first 50 minutes, Namibia played really well. You think? I think so. They kick everything did you say 50 or 15 15 okay thank god i yeah. was gonna say like please try and sell this to first me. 15 minutes namibia i think are great yeah I they agree. kick the lever off it they work incredibly hard they're reasonably accurate with what they do no i, I wholeheartedly um, agree and they're just like they're giving everything and they're they're very much in that kind of performance where they know they're not going to win but they're going to give them a bloody game you know yeah, and- like there's a bit of keeping the score down one, to it. Exactly. One of the classics of that genre is like Georgia in 2015 against the All Blacks. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of a more recent example. Anyone that plays the Red Roses ever. But that kind of thing of like, we're not going to win this game, but we're going to make them work for it. Yeah. And they kind of have that vibe for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And I'm really impressed by them, like really satisfied by them. And they're really unlucky in the, so they kick a penalty quite early on. And we end up with a situation where after like 20 minutes, it's 14-3. I don't think they and kick a penalty early on, mate. No, they don't. But we'll come... Okay, we'll move on. They'll kick three points. They get to a situation where after like 20 minutes, they're 14-3 behind. Yeah. But... And I think this is a such a bullshit point. If a team playing equally well that were better than them, they would be ahead. Sure. This is like... It's such a if bullshit point. If they had better point, players, they'd like, be ahead. If they had better players, they'd be winning the game. That sounds like bullshit, but they play well enough to be leading against that French team. You've just decided... like, it. the quality of their actual combination of organisation in the team yeah. and their actual quality of the players isn't high enough that yes. they're... A lot of these players are semi-professional, they're playing in the lower leagues, or have only just turned professional in some cases. You've got players like Vitboy and like Langenhausen, who are <laughs> university... You know, yeah. Playing university rugby. And it's kind of... They're playing against players from the top, like the best players from the top 14, which is so many steps up. And you go, you are playing so far above your level <laughs> that if you're playing against, if the two teams were even, I think Namibia are the team playing better relative yes, to their abilities. I think that's a good that's way of phrasing the it. The way to phrase it. 
Yes. Can we also appreciate the fact that the very first scrum, Namibia take it against the head? And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes! Go on, yeah. boys! I mean, Alan Roland blows it back and they get fucking obliterated in every scrum after that. We're going we're gonna to talk about Alan Roland, but that's fine. Move yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, Namibia's first, like intro to the game, like, they go, ooh, they're actually quite good. No, fair enough. We're going to have to have to work hard here. Okay, yeah, let's work hard. Let's... Let's keep working hard. We're doing really, really well here. Oh, fucking hell, I'm pooped. Yeah. <laughs> Can you blame them, though? No, 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 I'm no. Jean-Baptiste pooped. Nice. But this is, like, the most fast-paced rugby any of these players will have ever yeah. experienced. And they're, they're matching it for, like, 15 minutes, as you say, which is as much as they could physically do. Yeah. And, like, France's rugby isn't always accurate, and sometimes they're... Arguably do, like, rushing things a little bit, but yes, I don't think that's... Their rugby isn't always accurate and their passes aren't always backwards. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of French knock-ons in that first half is next level, because they rushed absolutely everything before they were actually in position or anything. But the thing is, that wasn't really a bad thing, because mm. later on they started throwing those and they were catching them because Namibia were just nowhere near them. Well, they score six tries in the first half, and I think five of them come from forward passes. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> the Cedric came on one for Vincent Clair's first try yes. it was phenomenal. That was proper quarterback shit. It was. The thing is, you look at it on the first viewing, you go like, "Holy shit, that's a beautiful pass. That's really, really a really good bit of skill." Then you go, "Oh my god, that's the most forward <laughs> thing I've ever seen." Like I have seen props that are less forward than that. Yeah. Like it is an unbelievable degree of just going not lateral through the hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it's it looks really aesthetically yeah. nice, and then you realise, oh wait, but it, that's not allowed. <laughs> no. At one point, Freddie Michelak stood pretty much on his own dead ball line. Oh my god! <laughs> the pass in from the nine, like back in the pocket, in order to clear it. And what he decides to do is he goes, "Okay, okay, we're going to play out." But realizing he is sort of as far back on the field as he physically can, all of his other players are naturally in front of him. <laughs> so he throws it five meters forward at who is it? It's David, David Marty, Marty. Yeah, David Marty's toes. And Roland's like, "Yeah, fine pass." Just shame <laughs> that Marty knocked it off. Yeah, yeah. And then Marty starts complaining. <laughs> Like they hadn't thrown a five meter forward pass to a man stood five meters in front of him in goal, who then knocks it on. I can see why he'd be frustrated just not at Alan Roland. Yes, <laughs> I think it's probably look. This is the thing about Alan Roland, right? Is infamously after Alan Roland did the thing in 2011, much like Angela Bassett, he did the thing, and a lot of people brought up the fact that his father is French. Yes. And a lot of people brought up that he speaks fluent French, which he does a few times in this game. Yeah. It's a really useful thing for referees, referees Definitely. to be able to do. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a yeah, fantastic thing. And he has heavy French links. Yeah. A lot of people brought that up after he famously sent off Sam Warburton against France yes. in the semi-final. And I couldn't work out in this game is Alan Rowland letting France get away with about 86 forward passes per minute? <laughs> is he doing it because he has those French ties? Or is he doing it because he's having like a one-off wanting to be liked by all the cool referees <laughs> and play Steve rules? Empathy for the game, mate. That's like, all it is. He's like, I want to do Jouet today. I'm going to have yeah. Jouet. You know, him kind of going like, I, Steve Walsh looks like he's having so much fun. I want to be like Steve Walsh. You know what I've noticed about Alan Rowland? Mm? He's so mo- monotone. Yeah. Like, you say Jouet there, I can only picture him saying that as Jouet. Yeah. Like, get it out, nine. Nerf. Yeah. And that's it. He just doesn't come across as a very fun person, Alan Roland. No, I don't know. He, he really doesn't. I don't think that's a controversial statement. No, it's not. 
Do you want to know a quick fact about Alan Rowland? Yeah. It never comes up. Go on. He was briefly, before taking up refereeing, he briefly coached, and he was the coach of the Ireland women's team. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, in the 90s. Was he any good? Really early. No idea. No. Absolutely no idea. No. I know he had one year to coach the Ireland women's team. Fair play. Um, yep, that's cool. So, feminist icon Alan Rowland. <laughs> Not the case. Don't humanise him. Uh, <laughs> Namibia get a turnover in their own 22, and... Hey, it's Michael McKenzie's one impact in his career. one impact in his career. And I tell you what, Namibia kicked the ball, and you have that thing, which is similar to what we were saying about Portugal against the All Blacks. It was like, fair play to them, they've done brilliantly (laughs) there, they've got rid of the ball. And as soon as... It's not just Namibia, it's Losper. Yeah. Losper launches it well over halfway. And it's great, and you go, this is fantastic. Then as soon as Clement Poitrano <laughs> catches the ball, the camera pans out, and you go, oh shit. Yeah. And you realise all of the Namibians have just forgotten to chase it, and they're just like, oh, fair play, great <laughs> like, clearance, Losper. They're like, oh wait, no, hold on, there's a next bit. Yeah. I thought Rugby was just clearing the ball or giving it to Bitboy. <laughs> That's how I feel. Like, it. wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Once we've done the kick, we've got to mark bloody Clement Patron and Cedric Hamer. Yeah, exactly. And like, cause they, they just switch into Hamans and he's just like, they just pass it straight away and get it yeah. as far to that side that they've not bothered chasing on as quickly as possible. And like, there's a lot of Jouet goes along. So much Jouet. They recycle a few balls and at some stage, like Freddie Michelak then calls it on the blind side. Oh, it's a lovely touch. Him yeah. wrapping around, re- they get up to the five meter line. They wrap, he wrapped around really late when the movie have only got kind of, you know, they've got one guy stood on his own on the wing. They've kind of, they can cover it quite easily. Yeah. Michelak wrapped around really late with both centers, throws a miss ball to it's Marty, isn't it? Marty. Marty, yeah. who then does a lovely little oh, his draw. touch is great, isn't it? Really lovely, subtle touch. Yeah. To put Heyman's away for the first try. David Marty's really valuable in a game like this because he always runs straight. His pass I, is good. He's a good player. I like, was thinking about this with Daphne Marty. He's exactly the sort of player that if we were watching like the 87 or 91 World Cups, mm. we'd both get quietly obsessed <laughs> with how like silently excellent and does the basics sure. and runs great lines and gives lovely balls and is like, has all the flashy skills but doesn't use them in a flashy he's way. He's just a centre. He's the sort of player that we'd love if we were discovering him, but instead we remember his later days of his like yeah. club career, and so he will always be a different player. It's like, oh, David Marty had a time we were starting for Underrated, France. though. Underrated like, player. Oh, yeah, I was really I like David Marty. Marty. But yeah, he sets up Cedric Kemal, who scores the opening try of the game, and then maybe you go, don't worry about it, lads. We're just... We'll just come back at him. We'll just keep working hard for the next, like, seven and a half minutes or something before we crumble. Don't worry about it, fans. Yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Because almost instantly, right, France lose the ball at the kickoff, and Namibia go... I smell blood here. It's our time. It's their time. And they pass back to Emil Vessels. With players running lines off him, I want to note. Yes. Players are running lines off him. They've clearly got a move called... They've got all the French players standing up to watch both centres running like one of those X lines and like the winger coming in around the back. Yeah, yeah, They've yeah. got all of this going on. Like everything is in motion. They pass back to Vessels. Who fucking twats it. <laughs> just goes, nope. He's, he's probably just in front of halfway here. Yeah, around the 40 metre line. Yeah. Yeah, like on the angle in the corner. Sends it fucking miles right. <laughs> Straight between the posts. Nailed a drop goal, instantly reduced the deficit from five points to two. Is that how maths works? <laughs> no, it's not. 
I mean, reduces no, hold on, because they were they were five. Yeah, they were five nil down. I now they seven. <laughs> yes, it was. They got the conversion. <laughs> Stop. Okay. No, okay. no, I'm not. I refuse. So the, Look, the it gap goes was from, seven three. There. No, it was seven nil. Then and it goes then seven it goes three. Seven three. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's the weirdest way I've ever seen someone beat in a game. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I guess you. Probably will deserve three points in about five minutes' time. Because, like, but you, that's a weird way of like, getting them. As Vessels receives the ball, right? If you were to pause it and run over all of the options he's got <laughs> open to him, he's got like two passes to the centres. You've got the winger coming out the back. You've got a dart himself. You've got like a chip over the top. You've got a little grubber through sense. to the first team. Things you could yeah, do. you've got like kicking for the two corners because you've got the two wingers starting to come up flat because I see yeah. him going out the back. Got you've got a kind of boy. Yeah, like crash ball. You've got like a wide pass over the top of the fit boy, which is obviously the best option you could have taken. Yeah. You've got like chucking it straight to Alan Rollman's head. You've got a four pass because he's usually working for France. You've got drop it. Yeah, you've got to drop it, Fall you've got over. lose it in contact, yeah. uh, you've got retire, you've got go off injured in four minutes, yeah. uh, you've got so many options open to you, right? It's one of the options he takes. <laughs> drop goal is not one of those options. <laughs> the defence is up at his face, he's got two players running half lines of him. <laughs> he's on 40 metres out from the goal line in the corner. <laughs> You wouldn't consider going for a drop goal if you were a sane fly half. It's great. Like, but Emil Vessels is not a sane fly half. As we say, he's a playable character. Yeah. Who is just programmed to have the drop goal button as something that, you know, it's the biggest, most tempting button to press and he accidentally leans on it. It's like, oh, I've got to just give this my yeah. best effort now. I've pressed that button. It stinks of, as I talked about before, like Rugby Union Manager 3 having like a button you can click yeah. where you always go for drop goals when you're in exactly. the range. It's great. It's great. And it's, he, like, that ball goes absolutely miles that he, he flies over the over like, the posts. People ask what teams like Namibia contribute to this World Cup, and it seemed to be a big question, big theme around the 2007 World Cup was, what do teams like Namibia and Portugal contribute? And what they contribute is drop goals. Yeah, <laughs> the most unlikely drop them. goals as well. Yeah, it's great. They'll go for drop goals were massively behind when no tier one <laughs> nation would. But this time, it's only a four-point deficit now. Yeah, they're in it. They're, they're in, in it. the game. Comeback's on. After one try. I mean, not for long, like, because Daphne no. Marley scores, like, almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, and the Namibian defence is fucking shite after that. <laughs> like, after that drop goal. Like, David Marty scores because Freddie Michelak does a dummy kick. Let that sink in. He does a dummy kick, and usually that's a good way of, like, if you're in trouble, that's where you dance away from one defender. It's not a way of breaking down an entire <laughs> defence. Dummy kick, then pass to Dusatois being Michelak's move there. And Dusatois is just knife through butter. And Dusatois is immense, right? He's a world-class player, not known for his pace. No. And he absolutely skins like four lads. I mean, it's it's just peak Freddie Michelak, isn't it? Yeah. Because he pulls something that you're like, it's not a surprise he's got any skill set, but it's a big surprise he pulled it at this moment. <laughs> yes, exactly that. It's like, when he's in, like, I half expect him to be in the opposition 22 of a massive overlap and go for a clearance kick. Yeah. And he'd be like, fair play, if you did that on your own goal line, it'd be the best clearance kick anyone's ever done. <laughs> but as it is, it's a 22 for the opposition. That's pretty much what Vessels did, just his hit the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that just happens to be three points in this silly game we call Rugby Union. But yeah, Davin Marty gets the ball, puts a bionic stiff arm on Jacques <laughs> Berger and sits him down and Runs it in. Yeah. Pretty nice. Well finished. Yeah. David Marty at this point, and spoilers, he is not my man of the match, <laughs> but at this point, after 15 minutes, I was going like, David Marty's going to be man of the match. It's like I say thought, oh, fair play, he's, he's playing well. And then I was like, oh, we're 10 minutes in. Yeah. Like, he started well rather than playing there's well. A, there's a, there's a lot of little change. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not jiffy. I don't decide my man of the match after 10 minutes. 
Um, Sometimes I do. Sometimes but... I really do. <laughs> Sometimes you only watch ten minutes. Yeah. And there's Which the is ten minutes game. more than Jiffy watches. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing in my notes is Vessels Off. Shit! Yes, Beer pro kinda, mode is over. He just kind of disappears. Yeah. Like, I was... I suddenly noticed the number 22 on the pitch. Or 21 on the yeah. pitch. Lil Wayne Botez. <laughs> The Wayne Botez, which the commentator calls him Boats the entire time. <laughs> Lil Wayne Boats. Yeah. And he's, he'll get the ball and, be like, and the commentator just say Boats. <laughs> I can't explain why it's funny, but he's just going, Vip Boy Boats. <laughs> Botez isn't even the funny part of his name. No. His first name is Lil Wayne. He's Lou Wayne. No, it's Lil but Wayne. He's Lil Wayne. If your handwriting's bad that. enough, it's Lil Wayne. <laughs> and believe me, mine is. I mean, I don't want to sound too dramatic about all this whole thing of vessels going off, but I kind of thought this is where it all goes to shit for Namibia. The thing is, it kind of does, and it probably would have, regardless. Don't get me oh, wrong. Don't get, yeah, yeah, but completely. not as badly as it does here because I feel like vessels was kind of keeping it all together. I don't think it's necessarily just Vessels, but I think the combination of Vespers and Losper... And L- Losper being at 15 was yes. huge for them. The the fact that they brought him into 10, and it's logical, because yeah. he's got a massive boot, and that was kind of all that they yeah. relied on at this point. But retrospectively, I think they would have been a lot better sticking Eugene Yankees on at 10. Honestly, yeah, their 15 minutes of having two players kicking the lever off it, and having an option every time, if France yeah. kick it back, being able to thump it massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, without your positioning being compromised. Yeah, yeah. But like Losper has the biggest boot on that field. Yeah, you know, like his like, boot is bigger than Michelin's. Joked Park, about Losper as well, but actually he did marshal the backfield well. Yeah, like yeah. when they kicked the ball, he would actually cover it and be in decent position. Like I genuinely think it sounds stupid to say that you know they're already eleven points down. Yeah, and they were always going to lose this game. France were always going to get the bonus point. Yeah, you know it's always going to be a significant loss. But I think if Vessels doesn't go off, this isn't France's biggest win of all time. Yeah, I think it's more fifty than eighty. Yes, um, agreed. Because I think yeah, Nabibi just would have keep continued to play ideal tactics to keep the score down. Yes, just kicking the absolute lever off it, working hard. Yeah, and not imploding constantly and just deciding to give up on tackling in the second half. Yeah. So what they do is they move Losper from fullback to ten. They move Bock from wing to fullback, and they put Lil Wayne on the wing. I think I didn't know. I thought he was playing centre. Yeah, he might have been playing centre with Langenhoven on the wing. Now you mention it, which complete reshuffle. Yeah, entirely. Yeah, and you end up everyone moving position, everything changing defensively as a picture. <laughs> Just a little way because their defense was not great before that, and no. then suddenly when you've got basically every single member of that backline is now playing a second position. Yeah, you know, so everyone at least starting there, maybe other than Losper, who I think played ten, you know, for his club and everything. Yeah, but was like a comfortable fullback and played yeah. well at fullback. I kind of feel that was, was the position they needed him in this game. Yes, for certain. Suddenly you've got everyone is playing in their kind of second choice position. Yeah, other and than like- Boy. Yes. And Van Zale at 12. And like, Heine Bock, I really like him as a player. Mm. Bless him, he had a bit of a mare playing fullback. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Like, he's, he, he was, he, he, like, when he really had the ball, he's still good. Yeah, exactly. And I think he has a couple of good touches, but position-wise, wasn't ideal. It was, it was really rough for him. Yeah. Like, the ball was always bouncing before he picked yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. And it just gave the defence so much time. And like, he's not a natural kicker. No. And, no. The, he was forced degree, to do a lot can, of it as well. That's it. To a degree, away you can get times. away with that quite well. But considering how far up the French line was, he was having to get away kicks under pressure rather than yeah, just yeah. like, you know, on the front foot. Because he'd be able to do those. Yeah. 
that was the thing. And it was suddenly putting him under a lot more pressure than he'd normally be under. Yeah. And forcing him to use parts of his skill set that wouldn't have been part of the game plan. Yeah. You know, parts of his skill set, there are bonus that he has them. Definitely. Rather than being a core part like of the game ideal plan now. stuff yeah. to do. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So I'll tell you what, though, right? Our boy Lou Wayne Botez, or <laughs> Boats. Lil Wayne Boats, yeah. Lil Wayne Boats. Good old Boats. Boaty, as we call him. Yeah. Boaty, muck, Lil Wayne face. Um, <laughs> so he went on to have a fascinating life after retiring from Rugby Man. Oh, really? So he was at University Did he of... Did become Johann- a rapper? <laughs> so <laughs> I might have heard this story before. He was at the University of Johannesburg at the time. Got picked up, played a season or two for the Golden Lions, you know, played a little bit there. But was very much got in to university on a rugby bursary. Made it there, got to pay through for a rugby scholarship. But very much there, prioritised his business studies. Oh, yeah, Doing a business degree and learning, you know, all of these bloody skills and what have you. So, during his final year, through various connections... He was able to introduce a German-based company to a South African distributor, which I believe, I wonder if this was anything to do with the fact so many of his teammates from the 2007 World Cup went on to play in Germany. <gasps> so Did he Lil use... Wayne set VipBoy up? Yeah, he used VipBoy, his mate, VipBoy, to come and get a business deal done. Yeah. Which he used to launch a business career off the back of his rugby career. Much like Steve Walsh. Yeah, he briefly ended up like working in the Namibian government. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, like, you know, he was... Did he ever work with Assistant boats? to the deputy minister. I heard he, I heard he likes boats. Um, uh, bloody, he, like, was a marketing head for, like, a safari in Namibia. Oh, mad. Which is big business. Like, if you look at the Namibian economy, like, it's yeah. mad. Like, it's a genuine thing. Uh, has worked in, like, director of sales all over the place. And is currently the chief executive officer of his own company. Oh, yeah. So, good on him, which he set up in 2009. So, sorry, 2019. Congrats to him, so, Lil Wayne. Yeah, but he's I still, I think like, he'd not been on tour for a while. Oh, he's stuck doing all of this business, isn't he? Yeah. So I wonder if, like, him and Steve Walsh go into business together. That would be good. Do some business sort. They do both love business. They love business. If Steve Walsh is is interested in rapping or boats, mm. then I reckon we've got the right guy for him. Yeah, it's good for marketing to be into rapping because it helps you wrap presents up if you buy them for that. And the present could be a, a boats. Okay. So France score more tries, don't they? Yeah, there's but there's another event in between, is there not? Well, I mean, we should probably get onto the uh, the incident. Th- there's another incident before that, I think. Mm. There's Vincent Clair gets the ball on an overlap and drops it, then yes. imminently gets dropped by Nivenhouse again, who just comes across and just lamps him on the throat. 
well after he's dropped the ball. They would have had a put into the scrum, but he's just decided, you know what? No, I'm choosing violence here. Lamps him round the throat. And Alan Roland just says, look, we need to keep our tackles down and doesn't penalise him. And just goes, we'll play the scrum, all right? You still get the put in, but keep those tackles down. To say he goes on to become so pernickety in all tackles that he sets a precedent that changes the game forever. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not saying he shouldn't have done what he went on to do. <laughs> but it's funny how someone can change in four years. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realise that was Nivenhaus as well. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it kind of makes the thing that happens next make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just a remarkable work of violence. Y- yeah. It's I mean... bloody 1987 shit. It's bloody... And when I say 1987, right? I don't mean the 1987 Rugby World Cup. What I mean is, like, that was the year that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. <laughs> the, the most remarkable thing about this is I think he's the first person in the world who somehow managed to high-tackle Sebastian Chabal. Yes. Like, he's clotheslined Sebastian the, Chabal. Yeah. I saw him clothesline Sebastian Chabal. I went, good luck to you, mate. Yeah, right? <laughs> And <laughs> just like, he got off quite lightly with the punishment he eventually got. Because like, Shabal is lying on the ground down injured, having lost his throat. Yeah, he got him good. Yeah. Like, and the thing is, I looked at that at first and thought, oh, okay, it's good that Alan Roland's penalised that. Mm. Mind you, that is probably the least high of his three high tackles. And then I saw the reverse angle and I was like, oh, <laughs> fucking no. Yeah. No, he just no. punches him, essentially. It's, <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. The thing is, though, I did start to, because all the, they don't play a replay in slow motion, they play them all at real speed, yes. which is a very interesting bit of context on modern rugby. And you do naturally kind of start going through it and going, can I find mitigation here? Because mm, yeah, that's what yeah, all yeah. referees would do nowadays. I don't think you can. <laughs> no, no. He's tackling. But like, <laughs> he's tackling a six foot five bear and just like, essentially, yeah, just grabbing his throat and slinging him to the floor. Yeah. It's the third person he's done that to. It's like in the, 20 minutes. The Dejeche, the France one the other week in Thailand. Mm, yes. Where she is going upwards into the tackle, which means that you can't possibly mitigate it because no. she is heading, she's trying to go higher than she goes she's in the end. She's actively doing like, the worst yes, thing. Yes, they dip slightly, but she's going to go, trying to go even higher. It makes it irrelevant. So, yeah, the fact she smashes her in the neck rather it than mitigates the, the mitigation. Yeah. You know? It's sort of like that, in that he is going... To be fair, no, I think he's going for the beard, which mm. is mitigation down from... He's sure. not going for, like, the brain. You know, he's mm. going to, he's going to like, <laughs> punch his beard off. <laughs> Knock him out. <laughs> that kid did grow up to play for Namibia. He did. Famously. I wonder what he's doing now. He's probably in secondary school. Yeah. Desperately embarrassed about the fact that was him. Yeah. <laughs> Hiding it. I mean, that was... Pr- it was... Definitely scripted by his dad, don't mm. get me wrong. But, but like, he's gonna have, no, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I don't think it was. I've, I've seen kids, I've known kids like that when yeah. I used to like. Either way, I love it. It's a stuff. great video. That. Yeah, yeah, it's a great video. He will have an easier life than that. I can't believe you've done this guy. Yeah. God bless. Cause him. he's gonna be more, far more recognizable. <laughs> <laughs> They're both great videos. But anyway, you see the red card come out of Alan Roland's pocket and I went, holy shit, I didn't see yeah, that coming at neither. all. But it's a completely fair call. The thing is, like, I'd seen before the game that there was a red card in it. Oh, had you? Yeah, I'd seen just before I started watching the game. Completely forgot. I saw that tackle and wasn't like, was so surprised when that was the red card. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm used to those kind of things just being let go at this point. Uh, Like, I was shocked, as you Mm. say, for that reason, that like, there were a lot more leaning on these things. And since then, obviously the game has gone soft um, in the last 16 years. And thought, 
yeah, I'm surprised by that. And then I saw it was Niven House and went, oh, fair call. Because that man has just been violent from the first kickoff. <laughs> after being so good in the previous game. It's amazing. So this game was played on the same day as the Tonga Samoa game, which we covered okay. the week, yeah. right? First two red cards of the tournament, both on the same day. Wow. Both on the same day. And basically for the same thing yeah. of a guy just being endlessly violent and then the referee going, you know what? I'm just going to skip straight to red here. <laughs> yeah. So there were two red cards on the 16th of September, 2007. Do you know when the last red card in the Rugby World Cup was? What? When? Take a guess. 1995. 1999. Ooh. Brendan Venter got sent off against Uruguay wow. in 1999. Very good. Very good. Three cheers for Brendan Venter. But, do you want to know the mad thing about that? What? There was also two red cards on that day. Yo. For Tonga prop, Naguli Toafo got sent off against England. When England went on to win 101 <laughs> Oh, can't wait to cover that. That's the problem is I read that and I'm like, that sounds like a mad game. Yeah. Goes, We're going to cover that We're going to cover that. We're going to do a full episode on that game one day. And the title of that sounds hilarious. It's going to be a shit game to watch when we horrible. get there. But it sounds really funny now. Sent off and go, Remember in 2007 we laughed about the prospect of doing that? Yeah. Remember when we were bloody so young? So young. So I'm still young. so young. <laughs> Truly are. So, the 14th... Red card in Rugby World Cup history. Okay. And yes, first of this tournament, or second of this tournament, second of this tournament <laughs> after Tipale, which was played earlier that day. And you know what? No complaints about either of them. No, entirely fair enough. Like, it clotheslined three guys. I think they accumulate to one red card. Yeah. Entirely fair enough. I would say one clothesline. <laughs> yes, I would agree enough. with that. But like, we talked about vessels going off, completely ruining Namibia. <laughs> having, having the guy who just lamped everybody going off definitely helped their cause in the way they weren't getting penalised, but didn't help their cause in the way they stopped making tackles. Yeah. I mean, it's the only red card Namibia have ever conceded in the Rugby World Cup. Is it? Yeah. So it's, which is dubious honour. Mm. Um, I'm going to give you a quick quiz though. Okay. Right? I've got a very small quiz before we move on with the game itself. I love those. Right. Teams that have never conceded a red card in the Rugby World Cup. Okay. Okay. There are 10 in total. New Zealand. No. Oh, what? Who got red card? No, sorry, New Zealand are one. Sorry, yes, yeah. correct. Sorry, yes. Sorry, yes, I can't, I can't read. New um, Zealand one. Australia? Australia. No, of course, we covered it in 87. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, of Had course. David Cody. Yes, of course. Against Wales in the third place match. I want to say France. France had one red card in 2019. You remember it? Sebastian Valmahina. Of course. <laughs> I just, my brain just physically cannot compute that somebody would do that. This is a good game. It's like a tour of indiscipline through um, the ages. Ivory Coast. The Ivory Coast. You are absolutely spot on. Great call on the Ivory Coast. That's two. Spain. Spain. Again. Yep. Uruguay. Uruguay. No. They've Uruguay had a, had a red card in 2019. Oh, what? Facundo Gattaz got sent off against Georgia in the 79th minute. Oh, I don't remember that. Mm. Wow, I'm getting old. And also, Augusta Normache got sent off against Fiji in 2015. Oh, shit, he did. Naughty boys, you're right. He got two yellow cards, right, in that game? Maybe. I think, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm remembering all the wrong things in life. No, it was two yellow cards, yeah, because we watched that game in Leicester, in that really cold and rain in Leicester at night in the fan zone when it is shut, basically. And there's no one else there. And it was like us and like four other people watching Uruguay play Fiji in the cold and raining Those dark. Those are the days, man. Those what are a World days. Cup. I can't wait for France. How many have we got so far then? Three. Three. Out of ten. Out of ten. I don't know how interesting a segment this is, but I'll try my best to just rattle through some Look, it's all about the sidelines. It's all about the, the sidebars. 
Russia. Russia, you are correct. Four. Another team that's only qualified for one World Cup, but they're, they've qualified for a second World Cup in 2023. Portugal. Portugal. Thank you. Another team that's requalified in 2023 after not being in 2019. Romania. Romania. That's six. Okay, come on. All right, Georgia? Georgia, correct. Spot on. Lovely stuff. But every World Cup since 2003, never had a red card. That will probably change this World Cup, I've got a feeling. USA? The USA is a good shout, but you're incorrect. John Quill got sent off against England in 2019. He did. He belted Owen Farrell in the face. Yes. Um, You've got a tier one nation and another tier one nation. Italy. Italy, again, one red card in 2019. They broke a lot of people's duck. And do you remember who it was? The stupidest moment of the 2019 World Cup until Vamahina turned up. Fischetti, no, Fischetti, no. Lavotti. Lavotti, Lavotti. Yes. If you make a brilliant breakaway downfield, Lavotti goes, what do I just murder us up after him? Quacker Smith on his head. Yeah. yeah. Or someone, all right, I can do this. I'm panicking. One of them I think is very surprising. Actually, two of them I think are very surprising. Japan. One is completely unsurprising. Japan, yep. Completely unsurprising, I think. I feel like they might be the last team to ever get a red card. Go on, who are the last two? Just tell me. Uh, Six Nations teams. Oh, bloody, what are they? England. England. Oh, wow. Which is the really surprising one. Scotland. Scotland. Oh, wow. Scotland never had a red card. There you are. Ten teams that never had a red card in the Rugby World Cup. Love that. Outstanding stuff. Wait, did you say Zimbabwe? No. You didn't say Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe Zimbabwe as well. Yo. Zimbabwe. Forgot we covered them. Big ups. We've done 50% of their World Cup games, man. Yes. Right, back to the game. Yep. Do you want a separate stat? Yeah. Just a separate stat while I'm on this. Hit me. Two captains ever sent off in the Rugby World Cup. Gareth Reese and Sam Warburton. Oh, wow. There you go. Oh, fancy that. Anyway, back yes. to the game. Look, it's a World Cup retrospective, not just a one game <laughs> in the World Cup retrospective. That's true. Oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. Here's a good pick-me-up. Let's talk about Vic Boy's first touch of the ball. Are we skipping Deuce Toir's try immediately after the red card? Oh, yeah, Deuce Toir scores a try from a from mall. mall and the... it's just like... But it's the moment where you go like, oh, this is going to be a long day for Namibia. Yeah. Like, yeah. it kind of settles in. Yes. Yeah. But then Vic Boy gets the ball. Yes! And do you want to know what Vitboy does when he gets the ball? Please tell me what Vitboy does when he gets the ball. He th- he looks up and thinks, might have a crack here. No. He doesn't. Does he want to have a crack? I think he fancies having a crack. He fancies. Don't tell chances. me he has a crack. Don't tell me he actually Bit does Boy. it. He actually goes through a thing. Vitboy, the absolute mad lad, has a crack. He want, He loves to have a crack. He gets the ball in his own 22. I think someone's either chipped it over or mm. just knocked the ball on or something. And Vitboy, coming from sort of the backfield, but sort of not, goes... Mm. Fancy a crack here, right? <laughs> he drops the ball onto his boot, tries a little bit of a chip kick over the top. The chip kick gets charged down and hits Heidi Bock in the face. It's great work. Look, it counts as a crack still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a crack. And what's great is, at that point, his, his kick, as I say, has been charged down. And France are doing that thing of going, well done there, boys, you know, really good pressure, well done. I don't he, want it. And, and then he's there turning around just going, yeah, I don't care, I'm still Vip Boy. <laughs> All he cares about is the fact he's Vip Boy, you know? He's Vip Boy. Vip Boy's second touch, however, is maybe my favourite touch. Go on. He steps in and scrum off. Oh my God, yeah. And he throws a sublime pass out and it's maybe his best attack of the game. They split France right open. So this is Vip Boy's first ever time he's ever passed a rugby ball as well. Yep. And it's a faultless pass from the base. I have written down, Vip Boy passes! And Namibia make a break. Yeah. It's the best sack of the game. You, They've got that speed of service at nine. Of course, bear in mind, yeah, Vip Boy is capped at Scrum Off. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most insane thought in the world. But... I did not uh, remember that at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
he throws that pass and like I was just in disbelief. Mm. I was just like, no, I was so expecting him to just dummy and go, Vip boy, Vip boy, Vip boy. Um, <laughs> the thing is, so are France because they've got like nine players around the breakdown. Yeah, clearly they watched that, they can the Irish that, game. Yeah. They can make that ground up. You know, and don't get me wrong, they completely shit the bed from there on out. They don't know what oh, to do yeah, off a line yeah, yeah, break. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, both players try to throw like really wide looping balls until yeah. eventually one of them knocks it on. What I really... Because like, it's going right out to the wing and the winger knocks it on. Like after the second big looping pass to someone vaguely yeah. in support. And like, what would the winger have done in that situation? <laughs> yeah, he would have tried to it. throw a looping... Like, he would spot the crowd, like a fan in the crowd in the Mibia shirt and just tried to throw a looping pass to him. I think the winger would have had a crack, to be honest. He would have had a but, crack, do you think? What I really really like is as soon as Vitboy throws the pass and they make the break you can just I just man watch Vitboy here he clearly really regrets throwing the pass because <laughs> he just straight away goes back into winger mode and just starts sprinting trying to get up there and he's going oh what if somebody else made that pass I could I could have scored here I could have had I, a crack maybe he's just running a nines cheat line uh, maybe he maybe is Dupont at his best but, boy. but also maybe he's just a wind up toy who runs a hundred miles an hour more likely yeah that is more likely also right while we're on the topic can we just discuss one of my favourite things that comes so far in this World Cup mm. Vip Boy at Flanker yes <laughs> well because the first scrum they do after going down to 14 on their own ball they don't have anyone at eight, which is a bowl tactic. Yeah. And Jogberger has to slide back and just kind of like chuck it through his legs blindly and hope the scrum off regathers it from flanker. At which point they go, that was a bad idea. And they move Berger into eight and they put onto the flank, good old Vip boy. Vip boy goes in at six. And he's just, the way he scrummages. He wants to scrummage harder than anyone has ever scrummaged before. He's given this new position he's never played. And he's clearly, he clearly, his attitude towards it is like, yeah, I'm going to be the best at this because yes. I'm Vip Boy. He's having a crack. He's having a crack he's at scrummaging. He's having a crack at scrummaging. And he thinks he's going to be the most impressive flanker of all time. <laughs> the most impactful scrummager the world has ever seen. What he's really hoping, right? He's hoping is after the game, Hackies calls him to one side <laughs> and goes, you know what, if we ever in an emergency again, <laughs> I reckon you could do a job there. <laughs> I love watching Vitboy at flanker for his one scrum that he was there for. Yeah. They then moved him back into the back line <laughs> afterwards. It was clearly one of those where he once asked, oh, do you want me to go in the scrum? Yeah. They're like, yeah, and then he just never asked again. And the other thing is, like, France blow them off the ball in every scrum oh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, including like, that one. So there's a moment towards the end of the first half, like 30-odd minutes, and it leads directly to the Nally Trash, I think, mm. where it's after the aforementioned Michelac trying to run it from his own goal line, yes. throwing it five metres forward, David Marty knocks it on, and they maybe have the scrum five, yeah. and they get blown off their own ball and they lose make it. They make utter balls of that, don't they? At which point you kind of think, it's like what the Ospreys did against Saracen the other week, at which point you kind of think, oh, you might as well call this game off here. Like, if they're losing scrum fives and they're ending... Because they then end up in their own 22. And then France get the ball yeah. in their own 22. Because they botch 22. up the backfield as well. Yeah. Like, like Bok is nowhere to be seen. Literally everything goes wrong for, yeah. like, 30 seconds. Yeah. And they go from prime try-scoring opportunity to defending on their own try line. And eventually, Leo Nanale scores. And it's properly, you call the game here. Yeah. You give this up now. Yeah, there's not much they can do. And it's yeah. Maybe we've had their most promising attacking opportunity they'll have all game yeah and just not even look like we're going to win the ball at all no like not even they haven't looked like scoring they've yeah they're 60 like, metres downfield yeah. in opposition have the ball within what 5-10 seconds like yeah they're within their own 22 in 10 quickly. seconds yeah. and they're 
defend it within 30. Yeah. And then conceded within a minute. Yeah. At that point, I just think, just swap Bok and Vitboy, put Vitboy at fullback. Vitboy at 10. Or at 10. Vitboy at 10. Yeah. Because we know what it'd do. It'd dummy the ball and go back to where the nine was every time. (laughs) But the opposition would never, ever see it coming. But yeah, like, you're right. We get to that point where France are getting away with that and you suddenly think, like, this is going to be brutal. Yeah. Like, Nally's line for his first try, though. Lovely stuff. Yes. Really lovely. Yeah, France's extra man is clearly counting at this point as well. Like, they just kind of go wide a couple of times. And you're right, like, the hands are great. And you're right, Nale's line and finish on that is very nice. Mm. It's the other thing, is that most of France's best attacks are the ones they don't finish. Yes. (laughs) They'll put these really lovely flowing passages of, like, eight passes that all go backwards together. And then they'll bomb it somehow. You know, someone will get tackled. Vitboy will come back. Bloody Lospera will make some heroic try-saver. And then they'll lose the ball on the deck. And then moments later, they'll throw one really forward pass and score. <laughs> How many times did you look at an attack and go, oh, this is going to be try the tournament? How yeah, have seen yeah, this before? Yeah, yeah. Over and, and over. Because someone drops it or gets yeah. tackled. Like, like, their best rugby is the stuff they don't finish. Yeah. yeah. They panic a bit, I guess. Really entertaining, fast, though. Oh, it means you're always watching something like, fun. Watching the full game is more entertaining than watching the highlights of this. <laughs> yeah, genuinely. Like, the amount of just randomly flashy shit France do, which is, yeah. it's just great. It's just an absolute joy to watch. Nale then gets a second. No, Claire scores in between, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. That's the Heymon beautiful forward miss pass, which is very nice. And also, just Vincent Claire. Very out of character, just turns into a complete cunt when he crosses the try line. He it's always like, did. It I'm gonna, always is. I'm going to step absolutely everyone, including the ref here, <laughs> and he. Uh, it has to get TMO'd because he nearly crosses the um, mm. dead ball line. Uh, that's how determined he is to go into the posts. But because Van Claire has a really weird game where he does a lot of good things and blows it, like he makes a break early on, goes into touch. He makes another break later on, goes and such. He has one point where he can give an easy inside ball to someone who will score, and he goes himself. Mm. And he's clearly one of those moves you sometimes see wingers in, where he's really frustrated and trying to back himself, and it's costing him. And so when he finally gets a try, you kind of go, ah, oh, there we are. Right, okay. The thing is, like, in the second half, mm. he he's really quiet, and basically t- scores every time he touches the ball. Well, the moment he gets his second try, I went, oh, he's getting a hat-trick. There's yeah. literally no way he's not. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, there's no way he doesn't score another try. <laughs> yeah. No, you're at, you're at. And sure enough, right. it comes five minutes later. Yeah. And yeah, so he scores his first try. He's finished it like a complete cock from a, yeah, wonderful forward pass. Nearly gets it <laughs> yes. chalked out, which would have been a great dick of the day nomination, but unfortunately not. Uh, there's a really good point where I just have Ong written in my notes. It comes 45 minutes into the recording where Losper goes for this really like, Huge bomb into the air. Yes. It leaves the stadium and then very slowly comes, down comes back down. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Vitboy just charges onto it. <laughs> yes. Clever Poitrano very quietly calls, Mo. The ball's just coming down. Steal my ball. Steal my ball. Catches it. Woo! High flying Vip Boy going over my head. <laughs> Pratrino doesn't jump for it. No. stood entirely still. Cause the bomb is coming down perfectly on where he was stood. And him being an international 50 cap fullback just waits for it, takes it. At which point Vip Boy coming up full belt jumps over him. <laughs> like fully hurdles him. Like fully clears like it. His legs go over Pratrino's shoulders. Like Pratrino probably, if he shut his eyes, wouldn't have noticed he was there. Because he takes the 
ball. He then does that thing, you know, like you've taken high balls before, you know, and like you mm, haven't not very like, often. But well, yeah. you, you've caught ball. You've, you've, I've seen you catch a rugby ball <laughs> maybe four times. Yeah, and you kind of have that moment, like after you've done the skill of taking the thing, where you reassess what's in front of you. Yeah, and he goes to do that, but he looks to the side and he just sees like <laughs> boot going by because his fit boy clearing him, just like hurdling his shoulder. Because like fit boy's clearly gone. I can't get all the way over his head. I'm gonna go for his shoulder instead because I can definitely jump over that. And as we've established, like he's not competing for the ball. He can't slow down. No, (laughs) he's just he just goes miles over the top of what he's he's not competing. The ball has been taken about two seconds earlier. (laughs) Like his timing is hugely off. But he goes to just jump. He has no reason to jump in the first place. But he just dives over the top of him. It's phenomenal. He could have just made the tackle. <laughs> like, he has the ball when he goes into him. He could just make the tackle. He vip-boys the hell out of that. But the look on Pratchino's face as he turns around like, right, okay, <laughs> let's, get, let's get on with this then. <laughs> but, you know, that's not what we normally do. Yeah, but yeah okay. okay. Maybe it's like a tradition in the movie or something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's what they do. Yeah. It's incredible. And also, our favourite man's next involvement is there's a point where Bok gets the ball from 15, mm. has a little bit of a crab sideways, and then Vitboy looks up and goes, might run a bit of an angle here. Could end up having a crack if he passes the ball. Bok just kind of gets caught like half a second late and doesn't give the ball to Vitboy. But because of the nature of the way Vitboy runs, he's like 40 metres downfield <laughs> by the time uh, Box made the decision not to pass the ball. And it's like, oh, I can't hit that rook, can I? Because I'm too busy being Vitboy. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you're too busy being Vitboy? Yeah. No, I would love it if I was too busy being Vip Boy. But he's like, you know what? It's fine because I don't really mind like the fact that my team might not keep the ball because I'm still mm. Vip Boy. So France run one of those other lovely moves they don't, they don't finish. Yeah. Except they then recycle it back into the 22 and Leon O'Nally hits another blinding angle to go over. Bloody brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, do, does a little switch with Michelac, doesn't he? Mm. And he kind of stumbles a little bit and then manages Reach to just out, get over and score. finish. Yeah, he takes that very well, Nally. Yeah. On the stroke of half time. Lovely try, takes us to half time, and takes Namibia to a bit of a deficit, which you know <laughs> for that certain again. that Hackies will be going, boys, uh, we need to turn this around. Yeah. Give and the boy to vid boy. <laughs> and turn it around, they did not. <laughs> pretty much the first thing that happens in the second half, it starts pretty similarly to the first half, mm. where France get the ball and just make a load of breaks. Like, they essentially... Make a line break, stop, go back behind the defensive line so they can make it again, you know? They they essentially do that. They've worked it to the five-meter line, then they just go hands down the line, and you're like, oh, they're in here. France's attack is all skill and no structure. Yes. Like, there's a few times you see what they're actually doing, and you're going, like, the modern-day, like, most championship, lower, you know, like, the semi-pro teams that are running far more complicated and high-end structures mm. than, you know, yeah. are scoring these record margin points. But the sheer skill level, you're like, oh, but you couldn't have defended this because mm. they're ridiculously good. Yeah. They're stupidly yeah. skillful to a man across the entire board. You say that there is one way that they can defend this. Making tackles. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's that point where they have that insane overlap and you're like, oh, okay, Cedric Kamal's is in here. Mm. And that they feed in the ball nice and early. And we've seen Cedric Kamal play a lot of times. Mm. What he does, he gets that, he faints a little bit, then jinks on the outside, and then does this little thing where he dives in the corner. Right? That's what he does. Mm. 
But not when there's somebody in front of him who goes, ah, you can do this. But guess what? I'm Vitboy. <laughs> well, because this is the remarkable part of the game, right? Van Claire gets pushed into touch on the other touchline. Like, they get him out. And you're like, they may be up for this. They're up for this. They're, you know, they really come out fire for the second half. And then, yeah, they instantly lose the ball from the line out. Like, yeah. they gain the ball from the line out. Then they're like, where did it go? I'm sure I had a ball around here somewhere. End up on the front side. They spread it wide because Haymon's is in so much space. And you're like, oh, he's scoring. He's in. Bloody Vit Boy comes out of nowhere. Nails him into touch. Vits the hell out of him. Yeah. Boy, you got vitted. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and Amon loses his marbles, man. Yeah. Like, do- doesn't know where he is anymore. He's been rattled. Vit Boy's in his head. He's more like Cedric Bai, man. Nice-ish. But yeah, like, Vit Boy makes like two tackles on him. I'm like, yeah, Vit Boy's got his number here. <laughs> Amon's spotting this. Because he's been tackled, like, twice. <laughs> Only scored the one try. Bottler. Yeah, exactly. There's a point where Nico Esterhazer loses his boot mid-scrum. <laughs> it's very good. Which is quite funny. Like, literally, as soon as Engage is called, he loses his he loses his boot, which is pretty good. Uh, Jacques Berger makes a brilliant try saver on Sebastian Chabal. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Jacques Berger has quite a quiet game by his standards. He does. But... Every now and again, I'd notice him, and he'd always be super What involved. he does is really good, though. Like, he's really strong. Also, he's he, really smart. He goes off on 57 minutes, then, like, 70 minutes, he's just on the pitch. Oh, is he? Like, I didn't notice him coming back on, We're but back I was just like... 15. Yeah. Well, they just showed... They just showed them all, and I was like, hold on, that's Charles Berger. <laughs> and then I was <laughs> kind of watching for him, and I was like, yeah, he just made a tackle. Like, a minute oh. later, he makes a tackle. No, I think what happened was, I don't think he actually went off. I think the, the graphic just showed he went off. Right. But they actually brought off Mackenzie for Tina Super C. Because I got confused by that a mm. little bit. But I think, I think... Because all the official rugby World Cup stuff, like, teamless things never happened yeah. off. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody clearly... <laughs> maybe maybe just refused. Yeah, maybe that's it, though. Just said, right, you come off. And it's like, no, he's got to go off instead. <laughs> and then they just messed it up on the, um, uh, on the listings. Julian Bonaire scores a pushover try from a scrum. Yeah. Um, no, I can't tell you everything about where the game's yeah. going, isn't it? It's kind of one of those tries. You're just like, good on him, maybe you're not fine. giving away a penalty, though. You yeah. Know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Might let it be a penalty try. That's pretty good. There's one point where Clement Patrono is just having a little piss around and, like, chooses not to score because he just wants to step one through point. more people. One point where Clement <laughs> Patrono is having a little piss around. <laughs> yeah. Where the, the line's literally right in front of him and he goes, no, nah, I'm just going to step two more people instead. Uh, we'll score anyway. Sebastian Chabal scores. Yes. Elisard makes a fantastic break. This is, yeah, a hell of a thing. Yeah. This is one of the tries of the tournament, I would say, actually, as well. Elisard, Michelac, Nale, all You're make... skipping his first try. Am I? Yeah. Go on, you talk, you well, talk me through So, it. France are five metres out. Shortly after Paratrono bombs that try, they're giving an advantage from the ruck. Alan Roland goes, actually, I don't like advantage. We're, I'm not. I'm not Steve. I'm not doing this. So, calls him back immediately for the penalty. Elisard is oh, stood mate, there waiting. Is, yeah, this is the try I'm on about. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the break in the lead-up, sorry. But yes, then that happens. Yes. Go on. So Elisard is stood there waiting, hanging around, and he kind of glances over once, and he sees Sebastian Chabal is on the wing, and no one is out jumping him. <laughs> and so he hangs, he takes a tap, takes two steps, and hangs his like, beautiful, perfect cross-kick. It's inch-perfect. For Chabal to take, score on the touchline, lovely kick, lovely try. Yeah, that's Sebastian Chabal scoring from a cross-kick. What yeah. more can you want? Brilliant. Brilliant. From a scrum off cross kick as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Even better. Yeah, it's lovely. And you mentioned there that Chabal scores two tries. Yes. The second one is not long afterwards. No. There's a bit of pissing about. Moitrano is involved. You'll be surprised <laughs> to hear. And yeah, shortly afterwards, France will gather the ball in their own 22. And they go, 
Boys, do you fancy some Jouet? They certainly do. What I love here, and this is going to be sound, sound so nerdy and boring, right? Freddie Michelak on both occasions throws an early ball. Doesn't yeah. try and do too much yeah, himself. Yeah. Like, they make two consecutive breaks in successive phases. And both times he just looks up and goes, no, all the defence is marking me. Mm. And just throws it straight away. And I love that. And the first one, Amor makes a break down the left, doesn't he? Yes. Sort of up the middle, but on the left-ish. Yes. That weird place, because people didn't fill the full field at this point. Rugby. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> on about the halfway line, feeds the ball early to Sebastian Chabal. What then happens? Sebastian Chabal... A player famous for his big charges, his big hair, his big beard, goes full caveman. This is maybe the archetypal, the primal, the prime Sebastian Chabal moment over his full career, where the entire population of Namibia decides business decision. Yes. We are going to take after Lil Wayne Boats and have some business decisions here. Yes. He's been doing his degree in business, and you know what? He's taught them how to make some decisions. <laughs> Vip Boy is included in the business decisions. He is. He is. He, in a sense, tries to tackle him, but he could have tried a lot harder to, like, get him down, couldn't he? Yes. Like, he kind of went round the ankles of, like, oh, I know he's going to break this tackle, but it looks like I'm trying if I go yeah, for the ankles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can explain, like, oh, I've got to go low on him, but I know I'm missing this regardless. My favourite is Eugene Yankees, who is fresh on the field. He's been on for literally seconds. Yeah. When Shabal <laughs> runs at him with a 10-metre run-up, and he goes... Ah. And he kind of does that, like, little backtracking thing you sometimes do when you're in the wing, when you're trying to, like, give up the space and, you know, buy yourself time. The moment someone else goes in to make the tackle to help him, and I think it might be Fit Boy, he then goes, and dives at that guy. <laughs> My favourite is Langenhoven's. Like, yeah. he's the guy that he skins first off. Mm. And, look, let's this the thing, right? So, Shabal gets the ball on, like, the 10 metre line in, in the It's halfway. Half. Yeah. I checked. It's halfway that he gets the ball. Because at first I was like, oh, incredible, 40 metre try. And I saw it on the replay, I was like, no, it's actually 50, mm. uh, which is incredible. And you're right, yeah, I said, the guy he originally skins is the 13 Langenhoven, mm. who I imagine is at least as fast as Chabal. <laughs> yes. But as soon as Chabal yes. gets the ball, he just looks up and goes, oh, I'm too slow to get to that gap. Oh, what a shame. And he just literally watches I'm him go past. Lad. Yeah. Has anyone else that realise? 50 minutes. It's a long time. It's a long time to play. And this is international rugby. High calibre. Yeah. Like, all I'm saying is if the scores were level, he'd have tackled him. Yes. <laughs> or at least, at least fall one off a tackle. But if I was playing against Sebastian Chabal, fuck yeah, I'd do the same thing. Good <laughs> on you, Langenhoven. And I've been in that situation where I've had a second row that is faster than me. No, sorry, that I am faster than. Mm. Run past me. And I've gone, oh, but I've got to turn. <laughs> When you're 50 points down. Yeah, like, you're like, you've got a turn, so he has got an advantage, so I just let him have it. Yeah. Bloody what a try. What a finish by Chabal. Amazing. Unreal. Bumps off the fullback. Yeah. Jogs right through everyone. Finishes in the corner. It's Phenomenal. Fantastic. Phenomenal. I then have written down, Elisald banter try. Holy fuck. Yes. It's incredible. <laughs> this? this is What like, is this? This is pure pissing about. This, this is point. 90 seconds after Chabal scores as well. Yeah. And I don't even know how they get into the 22 that No, me either. I've not got any, any record of that written down. But what is, what I love about this, it's proper like when you're playing touch rugby before training starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and you're all just getting your pissing about out your system. He does this in an international match in a sold out Stad Toulousia. It's incredible. So he picks the ball up at nine, like, what, five meters from the goal Mm. line? And he dummies a reverse pass behind his back. 
So he transfers the ball into one hand and flings it behind his back, still keeping hold of the ball. I don't know if anybody falls for it, but it does not matter. It's beautiful. Then he transfers it back into two hands and then throws another wide dummy, again transferring it into one hand, like the way he's going, and then just straight into the He's not even dummying it. He's doing that thing that I think... People that play rugby for whom passing is the first option rather than carrying. Literally everyone who for whom that is the instinct will have scored this try before. Yes. Where you're just kind of like, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're wanting to give the pass and you're looking out and you're waiting for the option to open up. And then the guy fades off you completely and you can... You can just run. You can just run. You can just dart through and you're done. You're sorted, you know? Like it's every, like the sea opens up for you. The sea parts for you. Yeah. Except he decides once he, once it opens up for him. I'm just going to throw an outrageous dummy anyway. Yeah. Like the thing opens up for him. He goes like, I'm just going to make this look classy. It's hilarious. Like I made such a noise. Yeah. That yeah, try. yeah. As a scrum half as well. Yes. Like scrum a trial like that is kind of my dream. Um, <laughs> even though it's from five meters. Running out. in untouched. Yeah. It's so, so beautiful. I imagine that the crowd probably loved it, but I bet nobody loved it more than his teammates. Or going, ah! yeah, yeah, absolute yeah. limbs on the sidelines. I loved it. Vance Montclair scores. They do a two-phase move, which feels like, do you need those? You're scoring on first phase most of the time anyway. <laughs> they throw this ball back inside. Claire does a nice little step and scores. Oh, it's a proper dickhead's finish. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. He's decided he's, he's never not finishing here, that. So, yeah. yeah. We've, we've talked a lot about try. I mean, should we just quickly do Claire's third try? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got written down scrum hands finish. Yeah, he has a try disallowed in the meantime, in between as well. Yeah. Which I thought was a try for me. Yeah. Uh, I would have given it. Where he kicks it randomly in hope rather than expectation. Someone managed to get a hand to it over the try line. It is not given. I would have given it. Um, yes, I agree. We've spoken about that. I mean, there's two quite important things I think that happen here. Important is maybe a word that's going to be tested a little bit as I explain these things. The first of which is you remember French lessons in school? Oh, how, yes. Um, Not much from them but I remember them. No. Happening. But how like you were never assessed on what you actually said, just how accurate it was, how good it was, sure, sure, uh, sure. how fluent it was, you know. So you would come up with phrases such as, like, I assassinated the spinach or something. Yes. And as long as it was, it was like good. Grammatically and accurate. you said, j'ai appenards, then, you know, you would get oui. the mark for it. Yeah. Oui, oui, oui. Can you tell me what you think the following phrase means? And this is relevant to the game. Bruchin les jambes de Clément Poitronneau. Sorry, some Bruchard le jambe de Clément Patrono. something the ham of Clément Patrono. Okay, that means that somebody was blow drying the leg of Clément Patrono, which happened on the sideline when he went off. What? Somebody blow dried Clément Patrono's leg as soon as he went off, and I caught. I don't get it. And like that's oh, the thing must, that actually no, happened. It, that makes sense. It must be like a cooling down injury thing, or it must be like a well, like okay, as someone that I don't suffers is the right word but has rest leg syndrome mm-hmm. uh myself i can understand that i okay. can understand that as a thing to like relax the muscles or almost it like it did just scan to me as something they did just so french exams made more sense <laughs> yes no that, that's it's a fair point it's a fair point so i say that's quite and un- also clement patron no he sort of he probably loves that it's probably like in yeah. his rider like he'll play for france <laughs> part of his contract yeah that he gets on to blow dry his legs. Yeah. And they have to get a bloody like blow dryer in, like a leg blow dryer, a specialist has to fly in. And they have to come from a leg blow dry region in France in order to be qualified for Like Snoop Dogg employing his hose and his exactly, um, uh, exactly. blunt roller and yeah. whatever else. But I say that that's one quite important thing. There's another extremely important thing that happens mm-hmm. here. Look, on this podcast, we've talked about a lot of world-class players and a lot of players that we've come to love over the course of Mm. doing this podcast. But there's quite a a momentous time where we get to talk about 
a certain player for the first time ever on this podcast. And uh, he is somebody that we're both big fans of. You probably more publicly than me. We, I, Holy I would say... Holy shit, I didn't even notice. We both go to the church to worship what the one, the only... Aurelian Rouge... No. Yonel Boxies. I didn't even notice. Because I was skipping the stoppages. I didn't notice he came on. Lionel Boxis comes on. I didn't notice he came on. We get to watch Lionel Boxis in this Rugby World Cup. I can't believe this is the Boxis World Cup and I wasn't even paying attention. I feel I've insulted myself. I feel um, I've let myself down. I, just want I need to, to go back and watch this again and we can re-record this whole podcast. <laughs> there may be some listeners who either aren't aware of Lionel Boxis mm. or don't know his legacy or, you know, just didn't didn't really get much chance to watch him play or watch it particularly in depth. So I think it's only fitting that I ask you, who is Lionel Boxis? <sighs> Lionel Boxis It's a big is, question. Yes, a deity, a religious figure who is considered to be... I mean, he turned his hand to rugby very much once the, the first few passages of the, the Bible about him are written. Many of the, the second kind of testament are still in the works. He is a figure of great renown, great fame, great promise, and great, great rugby. He turned his hand to rugby, the greatest sport in his eyes, and he is the the god of Tarbs, and he has contributed an awful lot. I said Tarbs is in the town from, in France he's from, not like Carbs. <laughs> he was a magician who didn't know what to do, what tricks to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good way of phrasing yes. it. So... Let's talk about the fly half bit of Lionel Boxis. Um, yes. Had a really long France career for some godforsaken reason. 11 years. <laughs> 11 years. But 24 caps over 11 years. Okay. Which kind of tells Seven you everything. Off. Yeah. But he was a fly half who, if you were on the basis to kind of sum up, you'd say he's like a kicking fly half, you know. That's probably the game, the, the kind of game plan you'd but, associate with him. But he was unconventional. He say. was, he was a maverick kicking fly half. Yes. And that is a, ma- magical thing to see a fly off like Dan Parks Ronan O'Gara they don't kind of exist those fly halves as much anymore yeah they just booted the lever off it and that was yeah. all they did but very occasionally has you to find him just randomly kicking it over his head but that's or it. doing a behind the back reverse pass behind his try line yeah. he, he was Dan Parks and Carlos Spencer in the same player yeah and he never knew what to do with that talent no he never worked out what to do with that gift he was given no and look, Yenel Boxis is somebody who I am hopeful and I think does actually feature quite a bit more in this World Cup he as does, time goes does, on. Indeed. And I just feel so genuinely blessed that we get to watch him. Yes. So, yes, he goes on to play in France's remaining games of this pool stage, including a start against Georgia. <gasps> so, if I were anyone else, would be very excited about the prospect of to look forward to. a Yenel episode. Oh, that's great. That's special. I think We're so. in the presence of so. E&L. Do you want to know, of course, another thing about E&L Boxies? Go on. This was 2007. 2007 yeah. World Cup, right? Yeah. The E&L Boxies, the year beforehand, in 2006, was the under-20s player of the year. <laughs> in fact, in fact, in fact, because it was the under-21s player of the year, and 2007 was the year it became the under-20s player of the year, he is the reigning under-21s oh. world player of the year. 
Now there's a statistic. 37-year-old Lionel Boxy. I wonder what he was like in those tournaments. Did, did they think he was mental? He must have been class, man. Yeah. He must have just really stood out as a really promising player. I just don't doubt it. Yeah, because he was definitely talented. He was just fucking insane. I mean, do you want to know the list of players that won that title in Go 21's on. Player of the Year? I'm ben, going to work backwards. Benatinger, ben, ben yep. Working backwards. Lionel Boxis. Tatafa Pilotu now. Okay. Good player. Great player. Good player. Shuram Kaino. Double yeah. World Cup winner. You know, yeah, did a ride for himself. Bernard Tinger. Yeah. You know. <laughs> played for Edinburgh. Played for Edinburgh for a while. Good player. Pat Barnard. I don't know who that is. Who is a South African. Okay. Who would never win a cap. Okay. Uh, had a spell at Northampton around the noughties. Fair play. They got better at picking these as time went on. Yeah. finding out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the first one is hilarious. Like yeah. the first one, I can't believe this guy got it. Richard McCaw? Doubt it. But look. Doubt he came to much. But anyway. What I'm saying is, that this is an honour shared by six players and six players alone. And including them, those are Richie McCaw, Jerome Kaino, and Tatafi Pilotta now. Yeah. And Yenel Boxis. Yes. And Yenel Boxis. That's the calibre he's in. You know? Yes. Two double World Cup winners. Jerome Kaino six is... of the best players of all time. Yeah. Genuinely though, Jerome Kaino might be one of the most celebrated and decorated players of all time. Yes. You know, won multiple Heineken Cups, won multiple Super Rugby titles, multiple won multiple World, World Cups, Cups yeah. won the Rugby Championship over and over again, <laughs> won basically time. everything you can compete for as a player, pretty yeah. much. Richie McCall, much similar, everything you can compete for I'm as not, a Kiwi player. I'm not really sure who that is. I don't um, really know him, but yeah. Oh, he was all right. Lionel Boxis, however... I think might even tip them, but yeah. we'll get onto this in a future episode. I think that yes. episode against George has to be a Lionel Boxy special. Yes, I think so. I think so. So, Rafael Imbanez comes on and he starts throwing it one-handed, which I think we might have discussed Mental. before. Mental. Mad. Yeah. yeah. So accurate as well. Yeah. They all go straight. Bloody 90s come back, don't they? And he puts two hands on the ball at first, and then goes, nah, <laughs> screw it, and <laughs> then just lobs it with one. one. I love it. It's so fun to watch because he's so good at it. Like, his yeah. throwing technique is is beautiful. There's a point where Vitboy doesn't have a crack, where they kick the ball, like France kick the ball onto the Namibian five meter line on the touchline, and they're 80 points down, and Vitboy's like, nah, I'm gonna run into touch and just remain Vitboy. <laughs> My priority here is just staying Vitboy. We must keep the Vitboy alive. Yes. They must be Vitboy for another day. That's the only time in his career he's not had a crack. Look, he's got a big game against uh, Argentina to play. There we go. He's gotta remain Vitboy. Yeah. And he does that. He definitely he does, does that. that. He does that. France then score off the immediate more. Yeah, uh, even Imbenez scores yeah. immediately after coming on. The final try for France. Yes. They score 87-3. Yes, get them to 87 points. Yeah. They kick back off. The Toulouse crowd are loving this. They're so into this whole <laughs> yeah. thing, this whole vibe. And the only thing that could possibly bring this home and make this an even greater occasion for this Toulouse crowd happens. Yes. Because having had, you know, the local boy, Van Sauclair, scored a hat-trick, but he boxes has got on. They've scored the most points France have ever scored in a test match by this point. That tried to yeah. up and beyond it. And now, with all of that in the bag, they start playing some more champagne rugby against <laughs> this beleaguered, knackered Namibia team. And they go, why don't we just throw the most audacious wide ball possible? Let's get to that 90 points. Yes, it is David Marty who throws the pass. Who should pick it off but Bradley Langenhoven? Yes. The best man at Vitboy's wedding. <laughs> Vitboy obviously marries Vitboy. No one yes. else can ever live no with it. Langenhoven catches this ball, and I've never seen somebody want to score a try less than he does. I don't know about that. <laughs> he catches the ball, and he looks up and goes, 
That trial line's fucking miles away. But that's it. Like the Toulouse crowd go nuts. I'm like, yeah, you know, they, they really they will absolutely on. love it, and they yeah. want them to score it. That's fine, you know. A, a crowd like cheering on this poor Beliga team. We've been a man down and conceded 87 points. Yeah, that's fine. The crowd really getting behind them, especially in, you know someone like Toulouse. It's a big rugby town and love it and love the smaller nations and all of this, right? What I don't expect is the French players cheering him on. <laughs> yes. Which none of them are going to try to tackle him. But all of them like chase back slowly alongside him. Like they're running in slow motion to make him sprinting I think look faster. Langenhoven had a deal when that Chabal try went over. Yeah, yeah. They're doing the same thing as him. And like, as I say, he looks around just praying for support. So he can just give it to somebody else to score it. And he's like, no, don't make me run all that way by myself. Fitboy wants to let him have one. Yeah, Fitboy doesn't even run a support line. No. Like Langenhoven... Is just out there by himself. Support lines aren't cracks. Come on. <laughs> I tell you what, he dives over and just dies. <laughs> he just collapses on the floor, and the, like it's the 80th minute at this point. Yeah, like, yeah, they've gone into dead time, and literally as they come up saying like Langenhoven try scorer, he's just there collapsed on the floor. <laughs> Just completely dead from the 80 minutes he's played. And good on him. Yep. He's now got that try against France forever. Good good lad. Oh, we didn't... Sorry, we missed something completely in the lead-up to the the second Jabal try. Right. Which is that's Losper's kick from his own 70 metres. Oh, yeah. He misses it so badly that France I mean, score. we did kind of bring that up, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, bloody but that is where it comes Losper from, Losper attempts it? a kick from, like, 71 metres. <laughs> That leads directly to Chabal <laughs> scoring a length of the field try seconds later. That's incredible. It's incredible to think that Chabal caught the ball further up the field than where Losper attempted that penalty yeah. <laughs> within like, I don't know, 20 seconds. It's just, it's an amazing moment of rugby and I loved it. Yes. And I just want to make that well known. That otherwise brings us to the end of the game. Yes. My last two notes here just say, at some point, the two French lads on the presenting mentioned Nicole Kidman. And I don't know why. Okay. And the other one is, there's a comment on YouTube on this video that just says, Namibi loser. <laughs> Do you know what? They're spot on. And there's a bit of an argument in French that goes under- underneath oh, there. No. Um, but yes, that's the game. <sighs> should we move on to the man of the match and dick of the day? I don't see what else we would do. Um, should we start with man of the match? Sure. I've got a few written down here. I think that despite the fact I don't really rate him as a player, Freddie Michelat was quite good. Yeah. Uh, he gave us a few, few assists, you know. I think against sticking there, Jean-Baptiste Elisard was really good. I think yeah, he was ran the show the brilliantly. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Was also just so enjoyable. Potrano had a lot of fun. He had record amounts of fun while he was on. But ultimately, the best two players on the field for me were the two second rows. Um, mm. Shabal and Nale. Mm. Nale got two tries and made some brilliant offloads, ran some great lines, brilliant at the set piece. I'm going to give it to Shabal though. I think he was fantastic around the park and, yeah, like his two tries obviously speak for themselves and they're the flashy moments. But again, I just think like his ball handling and like the regular carries and tackles and stuff were actually really good. Mm. Pleasantly surprised. I don't disagree with a lot of that sentiment. I would also mention Thio Dusatois. Yes. Thought it was brilliant. Excellent. This is not a game where you get praised for your defensive work. Yet <laughs> he was utterly tireless in defense. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, he was just phenomenal in terms Even of... Even though he didn't he need to be. Yeah. Yes. And like... On his own ball, the breakdown and everything, and he carried a few times. He scored a try, of yeah. course, as well. But absolutely tireless. Like whenever Namibia had the ball, they were shut down instantly by Dusatwa on his own. He was like, yeah. it was like he went, "You have a full income, do the passing around. I'll just do the defense. That's fine." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be the defense. I am. I am the French defensive line. But yeah, I thought Nali was brilliant. But my man of the match is is Chabal as well. Maybe the best game I ever saw him play. 
Yeah. And I thought he made a real impact off the bench against Argentina, but yeah, went up again here and was just like marauding and ferocious and everywhere on the pitch and just terrifying to play against and yeah. technically excellent. You know, real force at the line out as well. Yeah. Just across the board, across the board, like everything you possibly want from a second row and more. Sebastian Jabal. Yes. Definitely. Match. Dick of the day. For me, I mean, Dexter Hazer did lose his boot in the middle of a scrum, but. I have to give it to Jack Nivenhouse for the oh, yeah. fact that he just spent 20 minutes going like, I'm just going to beat you all up. After playing so absolutely amazingly last week, he just chose violence and violence only and got sent off like 20 minutes in, which his team did not need. And and yet here we are. I kind of love it watching it 16 is years it, later. Is it awful? That didn't even occur to me. <laughs> Look, I my dick of the day's nailed on. Okay. Because France had a game where everyone ran riot and they were playing this glorious attacking rugby and everything was utterly wonderful and everyone was finishing every chance they were given. And somehow in the middle of that, Clement Pratchett managed to have a terrible game. <laughs> <laughs> Did he though? Yes! Do you think he was simultaneously good and terrible or do you think he was just terrible? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean he had very good touches. Yeah. Like, when he was good, he was absolutely He somehow unplayable. didn't score. Yeah. Well, yeah. He tried really hard for that. Yeah. But like... He was massively overplaying whenever given the chance. <laughs> I can't disagree with. Like, the really the dick of the day thing is a combination of somehow managing to have a bad game in that France team <laughs> under those circumstances where everything is so open, there's so much space open for you, and him not finishing that try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he has... So he has two players in front of him, right? And the try line is open if he can beat these two players because they've got loads of space either side. Or if he just runs diagonally. Yeah. So he steps the first player, steps the second player... Steps the third player who wasn't there. No, it wasn't a third player. And he, he made keeps one. going until he steps seven players. He stepped the first one again. Yeah. He steps seven players, right? If he had stepped two, five, or nine, he would have scored. <laughs> or none. But instead, yeah, instead he goes for seven. He picks the worst option he could have. It's he great. has four chances to score that try and he takes none He's of them. Properly having a piss about. And he is. I love it. I love it. I mean, that is the phrase. He is pissing about the entire time. The thing is, though, hear me out on this. Mm. He physically couldn't have had a game as poor as, like, in the sense you're saying it, if he wasn't a world-class player. Oh, absolutely. Like, he chose just not to bother having a good game. He was like, you know what? I don't think I will score today. I think I'm just going to, like, enjoy it. He also couldn't have done it if he wasn't French. Yes. (laughs) It's just, like, it's a thing that world-class French players do. Yeah. So I came into Clément Poitrenaud and started paying attention to him around like 2009, yeah. right? When he was kind of, and then 2010 in that Grand Slam team and he was kind of in his peak era. He was like yeah, steady yeah. and considered, but also still class and, you know, just like the best work in the world for a period. I'd forgotten that early in his career, he was Thomas Ramos. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much what happened. Oh, yeah. I and it makes it. me worry. Is Ramos going to turn into that? Oh, no. Is Ramos going to turn into the player Poitrenaud was by the he end of his career? He's getting scarily good. Yeah. Ramos. We're heading towards Ramos and his sensible era. Yeah, time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. We'll find out. But yes, that brings us through to the end of another episode of the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective Podcast. Thank you for paying attention to France's win over (laughs) Namibia from 2007, 16 years ago. How time flies. Please join us next week when we will be covering, actually this time, Georgia the Island, (laughs) probably. Or the final. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. We might just do 91. We might just start there. Please join us then for that. In the meantime, Will, thank you very much. Uh, Where can people find you? Where can people find the podcast? Please plug yourself. People can find the podcast here, or you can go to vipboy.com. Make sure you follow at Plato Chad on Twitter. Outstanding. We'll see you then. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Fit boy.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 